0: Now I aimed to get Lion King done in two hours, and it took three. So let's try and aim to get this one done in one hour. (laughs) That way,
1: three hours later.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Digital Drift, episode twenty-eight, recorded Sunday, the seventeenth of August, twenty fourteen. Guardians of the Galaxy.
2: Forget it. So here we are a thief, two thugs, an assassin, and a maniac. But we're not going to stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy. I guess we're stuck together.
3: Partners.
4: Are you telling me the fate of 12 billion people is in the hands of these criminals? Oh,
2: yeah. When
3: I die and the name is the best, when I go to the place that's the best, when I lay me down to die, holding on to the spirit in the sky.
2: I look around you know what i see losers but life's giving us a chance to do what something good something bad a bit of both oh what the hell i don't got that long a lifespan anyway That's mine. So you son of a hey! Man. Take those headphones off!
3: Right
5: now! They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes.
3: I'm hooked on a feeling I'm high on the believing That you're in love with me I'm hooked on a feeling
0: Welcome to the 10th in the Marvel Cinematic Universe reviews. Joining me once again are my co-host Sharon Shaw,
4: That's a fake laugh. (laughs) It's real.
0: From the Game Burst podcast, it's returning Avengers movie reviewer Jerome McIntosh.
1: Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it.
0: (laughs) Returning from the Transformers Revenge of the Fallen and Transformers Prime episodes that you guys haven't heard yet, but trust me, he was awesome on them. It's Mike Hearn, creator of the webcomic Walter the Wicked. Stop using your pelvic sorcery. From the Digital Drift community and regular weekly Digital Drift Xbox Live Game Night Breakfast Club, it's Lauren Grieve.
6: Ain't no thing like me, set me.
0: Also known as Xavier Fox Shandy. And returning from a first appearance on the Digital Gonzo episode number 122, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, Rose Lynn, also known as Roxy, also known as Zephyrite on Twitter.
7: I like this knife. I'm keeping it.
0: <laughs> this time, rather than going for a sequel to an established comic book character like an Incredible Hulk 2 Or bringing in one of the third stringers of intermittently popular comics like Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel The House of M took a huge risk by showcasing a comic property that virtually nobody had ever heard of Now... Nah. I've known about Strange and Captain Marvel and Shang-Chi and Iron Fist and Luke Cage and Devil Dinosaur and Starbrand and Power Pack since I was ten. I'm a long-time comic fan and a maniacal movie series fan. Even I had not heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They have no animated shows, no video games, no toy lines, their name was on nobody's lips. Effectively, this was Marvel having a go at both introducing an incontinuity Marvel movie that has seemingly nothing to do with Iron Man, Hulk or Cap, and only strangled links to the Nine Realms of Thor, making a movie that would stand on its own two legs regardless of the obscurity of the license. They did. It did. The film was released in over 4,080 theatres in the United States, making it the widest August release, breaking the five-year record held by G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Now, granted that late July, early August is usually a summer dumping ground for all the stupid crap nobody would pay any attention to in May because that's when all the good stuff is out. And yes, as a Leo, this has proved intensely frustrating for me. This is where you find your Catwomans, your Spawns, your Wild Wild Wests, your Avengers, no, not that one, the other one, your Jurassic Park 3s, your Adventures of Pluto Nashes, and your Tim Burton's Planets of the Apeses. But it's also where you find your born, ultimatum, your District 9, your inglorious bastards. In just over two weeks, Guardians has taken a not immodest $341 million. And by the time you listen to this, it'll have taken more. To put this in perspective, Ang Lee's Hulk, dealing with one of the four most well-recognized comic book heroes on the planet at the time, made only $245 million total, and The Incredible Hulk made $263 million. The original X-Men, the most well-known super team on the planet and the biggest-selling comic of the past decade, made only $296 million. Batman Begins made $374 million, as did Captain America the First Avenger. X-Men First Class made $353 million. So from all these stats, we can see that a successful introduction of a character or team has a nice sweet spot in terms of takings, with the sequels being where the big bucks are, and the grand team-up of the Avengers being where the huge bucks are. Just for the record, I'm now editing this podcast one day after I gave you those figures. It's now at 418 million. Presumably because the weekend figures just came in. Now, the original Guardians of the Galaxy team started, believe it or not, way back in... Anybody?
6: 1969.
0: (laughs) Nicely done. At the tail end of the creative period that brought us the heroes of the Silver Age, Spider-Man, Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, Daredevil, the X-Men, the Avengers, all of those guys we've been on and on and on about in these shows. The first team appeared in a comic simply called, anyone? It was Marvel Superheroes. And in fact, until 1990, some 21 years after their first appearance, they had never had a comic of their very own, instead appearing in guest spots in order to illustrate a broader intergalactic war going on outside the Earth-bound Marvel adventures. Now, the 1990 series was written by Jim Valentino and failed to really make an impact, ending in July 1995 with issue 62. Now, it's important to note that this was not the team you have seen on screen just now. The original Guardians from the 1990 comic series are active in the 31st century in an alternate timeline of the Marvel Universe known as Earth 691. The original members of the team include Major Vance Astro, an astronaut from the 20th century Earth who spends thousands of years traveling to Alpha Centauri in suspended animation. I'm assuming he's played by Mark Wahlberg. Other original team members are Martin X. Tanaga, a crystalline being from Pluto, Captain Charlie 27, a soldier from Jupiter, and... Yondu Odonta, a blue-skinned noble savage from I, 4. Each is apparently the last of their kind, and they are forced to unite as a team against the actions of the Badoon, an alien race which attempts to conquer Earth's solar system. During the course of the war against the Badoon, the team recruit two more members, Starhawk and Nikki, and travel back in time, where they encounter several of the heroes of the 20th century Earth, including Captain America and The Thing. But from how this sounds, it has very little to do with our Guardians, about as much as the 90s Thunderstrike comic had to do with the Thor movie. Or uh, I think a a, a good uh, parallel I put was, uh, if you imagine the original X-Men lineup never got their own comic, but just did like guest spots in other Marvel books for many, many years. And then in 2008, because that's really the Guardians as we know them, Dan Abner wrote the equivalent of Giant Size X-Men or Giant Size uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and completely overhauled the roster with Star-Lord, Groot, Rocket Raccoon, Gamora, Drax, and three other characters, Quasar, Mantis, and Adam Warlock. Now, this is the version with all the humor and the more contemporary sci-fi space comedy epic themes. This was the team that turned up in guest spots on the animated shows of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes and Ultimate Spider-Man and Avengers Assemble. Now, this 2008 series was cancelled after just 25 issues, but it still got the attention of producer Kevin Feige. Enough to get him to put his faith in the brand for this key Phase 2 newcomer. This was a risk. If they'd messed up here, that's almost like Marvel can't survive outside the big three, because they can't even really survive with Hulk. So it's Cap, Thor, Iron Man. But they can survive without them, clearly. A rebooted Marvel Now series began recently, written by Brian Michael Bendis, and now co-starring an intergalactic Iron Man. Based on the popularity of this movie, there will be a sequel and more involvement and interaction with the regular Marvel heroes, including what I consider to be a no-brainer, which would be an Avengers movie appearance somewhere down the line. Um, Out of just we-
6: curiosity, though, has yeah? anybody else actually read the Guardians of the Galaxy comics? I read the first seven or 8 through the
7: recent ones.
6: Because mm-hmm. I was just curious because I've read all of um, the War of Kings, Realm of Kings, Thanos Imperative, and the Marvel Now one. So like the
0: first twenty five, and then the the, the more the, recent It's the ones as well. first
6: twenty five, then the next six, and okay. then the Marvel. I've I've only read the first like five or six for the Marvel Now because it's actually kind of pants, I believe. <laughs> Um,
0: that is a shame. I, I started reading the Avengers Assemble comic where they team up with the Avengers and I was so bored and that's Bendis, my favorite writer.
6: Yeah, it, it was actually really unfortunate because I was like, okay, Tony Stark's in, you know, in this, I, I like all the other characters from the previous uh, run of Guardians of the Galaxy and Rocket's still great and they kind of overuse Groot's like regrowing power and Gamora and Drax are totally flat and they kind of mess up quill's character a little bit in the marvel now by like fleshing out his backstory a little too much in the very first issue ah. so uh, well you
0: are thank god you're on this show because you can basically fill in all the blanks for us because we um anyone else been reading guardians
3: no, no.
6: so so funny story about- i actually knew about guardians before the movie because rocket raccoon appears in one of the marvel fighting games that is- oh.
0: three yeah
6: yeah so and somebody I know, I hate fighting games, but somebody I know is playing it, and I'm like, who the heck is that? And they're like, oh, it's Rocket Raccoon. And I'm like, I, I'm i going to look up who this is and then track down all the comics after that.
0: I had actually seen him uh, in, the, uh, in the Earth's Mightiest Heroes episode just before I played that game, so I knew who he was just. But um, when they announced it, I thought, those guys? I'm not even sure they've got a comic. I mean, I just about <laughs> heard of them. That—that's how new this is. I mean, really, let's face it. I mean, that the the series up to 2000, such as they were, didn't really even exist in continuity. So no. this brand is as old as Lyra. It's coming on for six years, and that's about it.
3: Yes.
1: Wow. I too only knew about Rocket Raccoon through various wiki searches. Just I. That you randomly do, so I knew about Rocket Raccoon and the fact that he had an otter for a girlfriend, and that was it.
7: Yeah,
6: we Lila. never
1: saw the otter girlfriend.
6: Uh, but she actually does. Uh, her name appears whenever the Nova Corps are uh, running them through the system. Whenever mm. they first get captured, she appears as um oh, nice. acquaintances or something like that. In There's the movie, million, yeah, in the movie, oh, yeah. Yeah. associates, yeah, known associates.
5: Blinking, and, blink and you miss it. This movie was so full of those. Yeah. Oh, my
6: God. So many Easter eggs. And um, so, yeah. So anything that you need related back to the comics?
0: Okay. Well, um, the, the first I one, think... when I was reading the original uh, the, the book, um, I think Rocket was pretty much on point with how I, uh, I saw him in the trailers and then ended up, ended up in the movie. Uh, Groot and Drax. Maybe I think Drax is a bit more straight-laced in this and a bit more cunning in the uh, comic. I suppose you you can't really be cunning if you're taking everything very literally, can you?
6: Well, it depends on how you're so Drax actually from the comics so Rocket and Groot are pretty much the same comics okay. movie there's not much there, but Drax's backstory from the comics is completely bananas and uh they don't like he, he
0: used to be a human being and then he, he was, was killed and reincarnated in a different alien body so and-
6: what happened was his name was arthur douglas mm-hmm. and he and his wife and child heather were driving i believe it was through the australian outback when thanos decided to just visit earth Brilliant. saw them thought <laughs> they saw him and then murdered them <laughs> um, like so she, like like you do <laughs> and uh, so then, Kronos, who I believe is like somehow related to Thanos, he's like an opposite of sorts. Decided to take the spirit of Arthur Douglas, who would be you know prone towards revenge, and put it in a ready-made super genetic body that became Drax the Destroyer. Oh yeah, he was, I he was, Yeah, he was literally created to be an opposite of Thanos. And what's super weird is his daughter Heather was actually – her spirit was taken by Mentor, and she was raised on the moon Titan and became Moondragon, like the actual character. And she actually becomes a guardian of the galaxy in the later issues of the comics after they resurrect her. Um, It's very – very strange but like drax becomes this character who's supposed to be set out just to kill thanos for killing his wife and child but doesn't remember anything about being from earth Mm. then he remembers things about being from earth and they kick his spirit out of his body then he comes back and he gets better and it's just completely ridiculous um (laughs) okay so what i was
0: getting around to was the biggest difference is star lord he yes. uh, he's completely different in the uh, movie, absolutely for the better. I never found Star-Lord engaging in the issues I read. And I was like, oh, I kind of wish that um, he had been written in much, much more of a kind of a, I, I suppose, just the, what I'm seeing here in the trailers way. Okay. Uh, yeah. wh- I, I, um, what's his character in the comic?
6: Well, I actually read an, an interview with the guy who originally created Star-Lord. And um he said that he was going to make him be basically just a prick to start out with, but then have all of this like development. But then he got fired and somebody else took over. So uh, he never he never developed beyond prick. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh But in the comics, he is a half human, half Spartax from his mother basically having an affair with this guy, just son of Spartax. Oh, of course,
0: just son of Spartax.
6: <laughs> yeah, right. Just random guy. Um, oh, for movie
0: fans, Jason of Spartex is apparently not Star-Lord's dad in the movie continuity. I've got theories as to who he actually might be for later on. Yeah,
6: thank fuck. But the, uh, <laughs> so, Jason of Spartex, like, he crash lands on Earth, uh, Meredith, you know, he crash lands in her backyard, uh-huh. she nurses him back to health, he fixes his ship, they kind of...
0: Is this not get the plot up. of Starman? Yeah, It might be hmm.
3: it. Well, you see
6: how
7: later he turns out How do you fall for that asshole well, yeah. Just within yeah. like a few weeks
6: Yeah well, She she yeah, lived
4: cause... right out in the middle of nowhere Right I'm right. guessing her choices were limited
0: <laughs> Dude <laughs> S- 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 Starman was Obadiah stain. <laughs> it
6: all links back to marvel comes back together so he leaves leaves his pistol with her his like elemental pistol that oh, yeah. she eventually gives to their child peter oh, jason quill
0: star-lord. what the eight-year-old
6: well no um yeah actually like, she gives <laughs> yeah go have he's a gun it could very young. fire and ice well
3: from this day on i own my father's gun
4: A shallow
3: grave beneath the sun. I laid his broken body down below the southern land. It wouldn't do to bury him When a Yankee stands.
6: Okay, Here's so it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit more complicated because she keeps it in a closet and then some aliens come to murder her and do so and then Jason at, or uh, Jason, Peter at like eight somehow kills two alien warriors with a shotgun mm-hmm. and in the process finds the gun from his father with like a little thing like, oh, this is from my dad and then escapes before the aliens blow up his house. He is then whisked to the hospital where... Um, they give him back this god killer, as you put it, which is not inappropriate because it's literally an elemental gun that can fire basically any kind of energy you want. Saying, oh, here's your little space toy. Um, <laughs> he then grows up in an orphanage, decides that he wants well, on, his to... His mom gets killed by the aliens? Yes. Oh, yeah, right. they, they get yeah, they straight up murder her. Okay. Um, and then he decides that he's going to be an astronaut and then it kind of just jumps forward and he is so he's an astro astronaut did this happen in the 2008 series it's hinted so star lord comes from se- like issues well before that but it's really fleshed out in marvel now right. but it's considered the same continuity they're the like they didn't retcon it it's actually did, like hinted at in the earlier comics
0: did dan abnett create star lord or was it someone else Oh. Was, he was he appropriating him from another creator and basically sort of throwing all this team together of unused cdex <laughs> characters?
6: Well, I think he was originally created by, what was it, Steve Engelhart
0: yeah.
6: and Steve Gann? Yeah. I know
0: that A-Drax the Destroyer was uh, prevalent around the sort of Silver Surfer era when uh, I think Kirby may have had something to do with him. Uh, he's just a green, dumb dude who uh, uh, helped out in like Hulk in a cape. In <laughs> fact, they <laughs> made Drax in this film greyer so that he wouldn't be confused. Like, who's gonna confuse him with Hulk? <laughs>
6: Well, uh, actually, that Drax is the same Drax. He just had didn't know who he was at that point. That's gotcha. before he got his memories back. I okay. believe he actually fights Iron Man in his first uh, okay. appearance. And
0: I know Adam Warlock is a uh, uh, like a Jim Stalin character from oh. uh, the 80s and like a major part of the Infinity Gauntlet. So he's another major about? Guardians <laughs> character who is not in this first one and almost certainly will be in the second one.
6: Ah, there is a hint at him in this the first crew, one. But we can get to that, yeah. yeah and if you need to know more about Adam Warlock, I can tell you. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, see, I, I rewatched the Avengers episode, Destiny's Heroes, and, like, Adam Warlock was serious guy number one, Star-Lord <laughs> was serious guy number two, then there was Groot, then there was um, uh, Rocket, and there was also Quasar, who was serious woman number one.
6: Well, she's Faye LaVelle, who eventually becomes Miss Marvel, who then becomes Quasar, who then becomes Martyr, and then gets murdered by Thanos. Oh, yeah.
0: Comics.
6: <laughs> um, um, comics! Oh! <laughs> weird! <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But the the last quick thing about Star-Lord from the comics that I feel is important Mm -hmm. is the name Mm Star-Lord is actually, like, an interplanetary police title that was given to him in the original continuity by the Master of the Sun, which was this entity that he dealt with. But in the newer continuity, it's actually from Spartax, and he kind of, like, is the prince of Spartax, Uh and his dad bestows upon him the title of Star-Lord. Uh-huh. And I think the movie does it way better. They, so, yeah, they kind. I mean, she calls him
0: "my little Star Lord" in the uh, uh, the message at the end. That still might sort of come from his father. So it's it's a nice yeah. sort of way of like leaving it kind of ambiguous as to as to how that. Of course, they may just break that ambiguity. And, like, yeah, can we get to the movie? Yeah, this, sorry. These <laughs> comics are weird. The comics are weird <laughs> to say the least. Right. Okay. So we start off the first possible second with. um what is it called? I'm not in love. I can't forget. Air Supply? It's
4: yeah. the
0: one from the Office Christmas special.
4: It's I'm <laughs> Not In Love by Air Supply.
0: Are you sure it's Air Supply?
4: Hang on. I'm
0: thinking of 10cc at this point.
4: Uh, uh you, I
0: I have 10cc. Yeah, no, it is
4: 10cc. I apologize. It's not Air Supply. Okay, <laughs> so right. So something else.
0: So this is track one on his Awesome Mix Volume 1. And you can infer from this, because he cares about it so much... And does he actually directly say that his mother gave him Awesome Mix Volume One? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, from that uh, piece that uh, you sent me earlier today, long, which is great by the way, uh, we can infer from this that he, his mother, made him this mix of the songs when from when she was a kid. So the late sixties, early seventies. So it's actually slightly out of place in 1988. He should be listening to Mike. You were around in 1988. What, what was big in America in '88?
5: Ah, that's a really good question um, I wasn't a big music fan, but I mean, I guess Like, for me, it would have been, you know ACDC and Aerosmith Not- and Michael Jackson Motley Crue. Michael Michael Jackson, Motley Crue, yeah, yeah, yeah Real hair metal, you know, Judas power Priest. ballads Judas Priest,
0: yeah. ACDC Ah, uh, yeah, he should be the one listening to ACDC <laughs> uh, um, but no, uh, uh, this is all. Um, this is his mother's uh, mix, and this is his link to the earth. And you, you, th- they needed an anchor point to remind you that he was, uh, you know, one of us uh, the whole and way at through. At this
7: moment, he's trying to escape into a time beforehand because he doesn't want to deal with what is happening, at, like right now.
0: Absolutely right. Yeah, he's. Uh, th- yeah, at, at this exact point, he's uh, he's avoiding the uh, issue and. It comes down to the fact that he avoided it for just a few seconds too long and just that not taking her hand at that point haunts him for the rest of his life. Yeah. And it informs on his character. There's only just about enough time to give them all a bit of personality throughout the film. They're they're introducing them all in one go. Christ knows how DC are going to do this. Yeah, this was a big challenge because they basically had to sort of introduce them all in quick succession and keep it a rip-roaring space adventure and not let it get bogged down. There were times when I was watching this and I was thinking, was this a more serious film when it started and then they kind of added more laughs? And I think it wasn't during the filming stages, but from what James Gunn was uh, saying, he rewrote the original script drafts and made it much more his own. So I think the initial story... It's got the nuts and bolts of a big space adventure, and he kind of put a unique spin on it. there's, there's His fingerprints are all over this film. If you folks like this, and you like gruey, fun horror films, and you like Nathan Fillion, see Slither, wherein oh. slugs try to take over a small town.
5: Oh, yeah. That, that movie. Oh, love right. it. It's great. Yeah, it's a fun. good movie.
0: So, yeah, the, the the very, very beginning, we get to meet young Peter, and there's not one laugh, there's nothing twisted about this at all. It's just... A very tender, very raw situation to put a person of that age in, and his running away from it, he just keeps on running and i I was wondering while watching it, has has Peter ever considered going back to earth, and you know if even if there were rules, you must not go to earth. I think he kind of would if he had the ability to do that, but it 's almost like at that exact point he doesn't have a father, he doesn 't have a mother. He has a grandfather and a culture that he already felt alienated from, clearly. So while he wants to keep a part of himself there, it seems like he's taken this life on board as as his own.
1: But you get a distinct feeling that he's sort of, he's stuck in the situation that he is. He's stuck working for Yondu, and Yondu seems to have quite a grip on him this whole time, so Hmm. going back to Earth wouldn't do him any good because he'd just get pulled right back out.
0: That's the point. Yeah.
6: And not to mention the fact that, I mean, we see that he has a very escapist kind of personality with listening to the music whenever his mother's dying of brain cancer. And uh, being whisked away from the planet itself is like an ultimate escapist yeah. fantasy. And I feel like he spends a lot of his time developing his persona to be this like hot shot yeah. space cowboy and probably has no need to go back.
7: He reminds me of Kirk like he modeled himself after it like this is yep. the you know stereotypical masculine space captain that's going to be going out there and wooing all the ladies
0: Kirk and Han Han Solo yeah yeah
6: definitely
4: funny story Chris Pratt apparently auditioned to play Kirk's father in the new um, Star
0: Trek <laughs> nice <laughs> Apparently Lee Pace uh, that's um Ronan the him. Accuser auditioned to play Star Lord
4: oh. uh, I, <laughs> I don't think not, that would have worked
0: <laughs> if well, that's
4: the case, my guess is a lot of this uh reformulating it to be funnier came about after chris Pratt was hired
1: Yeah, because uh, initially um I believe james Gunn wasn't going to give chris Pratt a chance but um once he actually saw his audition, he says that's my that's my style lord like he didn't expect him to do the job and he was willing to like he was willing to let Chris Pratt do the role without losing the weight, but chris Pratt like he definitely said he's willing to lose the weight.
0: Well, I'm used to people not having faith in Chris Pratt until he actually shows them that he can by now. I said uh, a few weeks ago, dude, Chris Pratt could play Nathan Drake, and I got at least one person going, eh, I mean, he's funny in Parks and Rec, but I don't really see him as an action star. <laughs> Do you now? <laughs> person who said that, because... He's one of the shining stars of this movie. In fact, I'll go you one further. Peter Quill is an orphan, always running away from the idea of a normal and responsible life, indebted and embroiled in the life of a swarthy pirate of a father figure from a young age, now a treasure hunter who ends up surrounding himself with a twisted surrogate family, all of whom have something missing from themselves that they find in their new companions. He's buff, he's funny, but he's very natural and human with it rather than wisecracking. He has bad luck and good luck, and trouble follows him everywhere, and people shoot at him. I'd posit that there hasn't been as excellent a portrayal of a character more like Nathan Drake in the history of cinema. So, Sony, I hope you're listening.
5: I'm not familiar with Parks and Rec. How how similar is the character? Like, is he is he doing a stretch here? Because he's really good at. He plays a, an a hole, mm. but he's not a douche. He's dumb and more. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he, he but
4: he's 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 very good-hearted. He is basically he's Quill, but not as smart. Ah, uh,
0: there's. There's a lot of Jack Black in there. Let's face it, they're, 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 they're like the sort of the high kicking, um, super exuberant. He's not quite as manic as Jack Black, but he's got that energy which kids really respond to. This is a, a two-week appreciation of Chris Pratt because we're doing the Lego Movie next week. <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> you said you could couldn't engage for the first third of the movie because you were just seeing Andy and Emmett.
4: Um, yeah I mean that wasn't the only reason um, but but we'll, I'm sure we'll come to that but it, it was kind of a little bit of a blocker for me because he's obviously your doorway in
6: mm. he's
4: the character that you are supposed to uh, empathise with that you're supposed to feel for and, and really get into this universe through because as you say they had a very tough job because not only are they introducing characters that haven't existed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet they're not widely known they're not pantheonic characters, so they, they really are starting from scratch with these guys, and they didn't have a lot of time. And I, I kind of felt that the first third was a little bit too action-heavy and a bit too fast. And, like I said, because every time I saw Chris Pratt, it was just like, ooh, somebody's put a leather coat and a... Oxygen cylinder on Antich. And some abs. <laughs> and some abs. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I I uh, mentioned on Twitter a few weeks ago that I hadn't even seen Guardians of the Galaxy yet, but I was crushing on Chris Pratt quite significantly because of Parks and Rec. I really am now. He is. <laughs> I am impressed with cut. the working out. He is, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, everyone can do it because Andy's very doughy. So moving on to, uh, Gamora. Gamora was one of the lesser defined characters of the bunch. If we're gonna be, uh, well. brutally honest. Uh, what did you make of her? Uh, what are her depths? Uh, aside from the fact that she's green and a total badass.
6: I thought she was really kind of amazing. I thought she did a really good job, especially since the character itself from the comics, I mean, I don't know if we wanna go into the comics again, but... If she do it lightly. So, from the comics, she's the last of the species known as the Zenwolberry, and she's Mm. this extra... Like, her entire race is just, like, wiped out. And I believe in the comics it's by the Badoon that you might remember that the old Guardians fought.
0: But the Badoon are owned by Fox right now.
6: Yeah, there is that. Um, But then Thanos finds her on, like, the wreckage and decides to, like, make her into a weapon and all of this stuff. Um, she was actually trained to kill the Magus, which is who Adam Warlock is supposed to eventually become. And uh, it's, like, evil Adam Warlock. Uh, but there was, like, one of the... So the thing about Gamora from the comics that just frustrates me a lot is her major kind of emotional backstory is that she was, like, beaten and gang-raped by a bunch of thugs on a planet before Thanos came down and wiped them all out and then gave her... <laughs>
1: Yeah, down
6: Yeah, it's super weird. So, like, she's just emotionally broken in the comics. I mean, I believe at one point when Tony Stark's trying to mac on her to fulfill his uh, Captain Kirk fantasies, Rocket's like, "Man, she is the queen of daddy issues." Like, I could have told you that would have gone poorly. And she really is. And that's, like, her only defining characteristic. Because other than that, she just has all of the ability. She has a healing factor like Wolverine. She can, you know, like, exist in space without any problems. Her sword was specifically made to kill godlike beings. Like, there's nothing to her in the comics outside of that emotional backstory. And I felt like in the movie, they made her a much more relatable character because she's not ridiculously overpowered. And they kind of just gave you enough of the backstory that you can see why she was doing the things she was was doing, but not a whole lot more than that.
4: One thing I found really unusual about her character and this is something that uh, I could say about most of the characters in this I really don't think that they were developed enough. Again, lack of time I think was probably the main culprit, but I could have done with twice as much uh, characterization and half as much uh, rocket flares chasing around the galaxy Um, but her relationship with Nebula yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. You know, the the idea of having two
0: They had to cut. Unusually
4: coloured. How mad does um, that make you? That makes me very cross, indeed. Um, (laughs) 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 I'm sure they will put it in at a later date. But the idea of having these these two female characters who've both effectively got very similar skill sets um, and uh, a a connected backstory, and actually having part of it be an exploration of the relationship between them, uh, that was something that I would have liked to see go further.
1: Expanding on that, I really like what they did with the whole concept of being Thanos' children, like, he went to a world, he destroyed it, took one race, essentially, like, beat them into submission, both physically, mentally, and created his children, his daughters and whatnot, and the only reason he stays, they stay with him is purely out of fear.
6: And it's interesting to point out that in the comics, the only um the only one of them that is actually the daughter of Thanos is Gamora. Nebula is totally different in the comics and the relationship between the two of them was completely fabricated for the movie and I think the movie's stronger because of it.
5: One of the things that I found really interesting when it comes to this kind of the the extended galactic expanded galactic universe <laughs> I've got to hold you to the same account that I hold Sharon, sorry. Oh, we're not allowed to say interesting? No. Okay. I, the thing the thing that I really uh, stick to is cuz I'm more familiar with uh, DC's kind of expanded galactic universe from the dc animated universe there and uh like everybody knows how like thanos and um dark side like they're basically the same like they're they were even both created by jack kirby and and everything like that so i i gotta i most of my familiarity there was you know i had a hard time kind of distinguishing between okay this is this is thanos not dark side these are Children uh, that may or not be actually his—they're not, you know, two planets at war, that kind of thing. I, they, I found that a little distracting myself, but uh. that's just because my own—that's
1: just because my own knowledge. Yeah, I—I I think I was fortunate because I watched the um, Silver Surfer cartoon throughout mm. the was growing up, and
0: that's he, where I first saw Drax the Destroyer, the Green Dude.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. um, I learned like I know what Thanos is all about, so I already I know that he's throughout the series. It's just him. And this statue of Lady Death, and I, you just know he's out for the destruction of all exi- oh, all of existence to prove it, pro- to prove his love for the personification of death in the Marvel Universe. So the fact that he has children j- sort of meant to me that they're not – he's taken them on board and they're either complete psychopaths or he's done what he's done in this movie and forced people into his clique
0: Just to go back a bit to the time when uh, uh, Gamora got horribly assaulted. I don't think we've really mentioned this on the podcast before in this much detail, but there is uh, an alarming prevalence which has been often lamented by many other uh, critics that women can only really be characterized if something terrible happens to them and that terrible thing usually involves sexual assault. Uh, Sharon, I'm going to toss you this button.
4: Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who wants this
0: one? If not Sharon,
4: it's no, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll speak. No, on no, it. seriously, just I'll put it out there that's if
0: anyone wants it. Well,
4: want. it it is something that oh. we're going to cover
0: it. We've got to cover it now. You know? Yes,
4: it, it, it's a because a I've not place heard that that
0: was Gamora's backstory. Now suddenly, oh yeah, she was horribly gang raped. It's just I've never mentioned this before, but it's it's interesting, and I use that term correctly in this case for me. <laughs> As um, going through, like, creating female characters for my book, I actually was presented with the choice of, should I have this woman have had gone through something terrible like this? Will that give her character? And seeing this complaint more and more, I've been thinking, no, actually, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Sharon? the
4: The issue, I think, is that there's... There's two ways that you could look at this if you're looking at it as being a a negative thing. And in all seriousness my argument would be it is a negative thing if only because it is very very lazy um, on the one hand you've got the notion that uh, a sexual assault of some description is the most terrible thing that can ever happen to a woman ever, it destroys her, it ruins her it breaks her brain, it turns her into a horrible revenge seeking awful awful person who can only possibly be redeemed by resolving her previous issues not well, necessarily
0: that it, re- it turns her into a horrible person, I think ultimately when it comes down to it if they're going to try and make her an angry badass, that's one of the things if that she,
4: they, Yeah, they if, she's a, if she's going to be a villain or if she's going to be um, uh, an, an anti-hero, anti-hero who anti-hero is going sense. to kick ass you know, it, it's this idea of what's the only thing that could possibly They've make a woman there. violent, well it's her being ruined as a female and therefore the only th- course she has left to her is, is, you know, violent revenge
0: On a side note folks um, think about how many male heroes there are out there, think about them hundreds now list as many as you can who have been anally raped.
4: Or experienced any other kind of assault of that assault. nature. So
0: and from Andy Dufresne, there aren't many.
4: <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's, that's one way of looking at the negative side of it. And, and to anybody who finds this oh, kind and of by the way, that was in a distressing context. I sincerely apologize yeah this um, is
0: way too dark and and horrible but you know what yeah. I, we we will challenge this kind of thing when it comes up i wouldn't I wasn't planning on doing this but this, the whole mentioning of oh Gamora, she's like this because of this it, it just pushed my buttons yeah. sorry the
4: hmm. uh, the other angle um, in which it it can be a, an incredibly negative thing is that it basically Gives the impression that um, for for this kind of thing to happen, um, it, it happens all the time because that it really does seem a lot of the time to be uh, the the kind of backstory that's applied when you want a woman with a certain type of character. Mm. Um, so, I mean, the idea of uh, uh, Gamora. I've only read the first issue of the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy series that you put in front of me yep. today. Um, and she's obviously I've only seen a few panels with her in really but one sense that I got from her is that she's completely and utterly emotionally cold Um, and I actually found that quite engaging to have a uh, a, a violent and aggressive is probably not the term I want to use but an incredibly well trained assassin who is totally detached from everything that she does there okay. are many ways in which you can take that without saying, well, the only way she could possibly have gone down that path is if at some point she was sexually violated. It just, it just seems like to have that as part of your backstory, unless you're really gonna make it, uh, a central part of a, um, a character storyline that is explored fully. For example, uh, what happens with Carol Danvers at one point um,
0: Oh, do you want to go briefly into what happens with Carol Danvers? Because Marvel are not giving us any excuse to talk about Captain Marvel, are they? uh'
1: I was yeah. just about to bring that up as well. Sorry.
4: Yeah.
0: What, uh, like what an is, alien married her and blanked her mind or something like that? She's,
4: there is a storyline in which, um, and it's it's not really held up as a uh, terribly negative thing initially, but that's the beauty of what they do with it later on. Um, she is basically kidnapped and held prisoner and um, ends up bearing the child of the the person who's kidnapped her Mm -hmm. and yes wiped her memory and and this was
0: like an 80s storyline
4: yeah and and then she comes back and it's like nothing ever really happened, and Carol's back now, and yay, let's just carry on as normal. And then Chris
0: Claremont came along.
4: Indeed. Sometime later, Mm. Chris Claremont revisited that and basically had Carol remember part of what had happened and basically haul the Avengers over the coals for not taking that situation seriously. Exactly. So that, to me, if you if you're going to do it, that kind of storyline is worth that kind of situation but if all you do is throw it in as a well this is the reason why she's aggressive this is the reason why she's capable of taking down a man in a fight that's that's so lazy it's it's lazy and it's ridiculously inappropriate because you're setting up an environment in which the idea is that any woman who is um uh beat on or assaulted or anything like that is either going to turn into a complete psychopathic assassin multi-level killer or just end up in a refrigerator somewhere
0: got most from Gamora was actually just that she'd spent so much of her life training to be a weapon and an assassin, she hadn't really lived at all. So when she was given music to listen to and a, a, an intimate situation to sort of get to know someone, it was alien to her. And uh, that ultimately could have been and I hope will be later, later on, uh, kind of uh, sort of letting her sort of let her hair down and actually start to, to experience the rest of the universe outside of this very, fairly blinkered existence she's been living.
4: Mm. That was the impression that I got as well of, of the way they were playing her character in this.
5: Mm. I, I got a question, because I, I, uh, I, I don't know the extended backstory, so maybe those of you that had a little bit more, uh, this didn't even occur, but I was waiting for the prove-yourself moment. We, I was really waiting for, you know, here, you were Thanos, Thanos is the big bad uh in the end, and all of a sudden you're good. There was never, she was never questioned at all. I found that, I found that strange, maybe refreshing, I'm not sure. I think part of it was the, the
1: way they tried to frame it is when she's in prison, like, people just, when you get the setup of who she is, like, she's essentially just an extension of Thanos, like... Um, that's the sort of sense you get from her she's supposed to be this cold-blooded um, just killer and obviously the initial fight between her and Quinn doesn't come off like that but Quill Quill sorry Um the initial fight between her and Quill doesn't oh. come off like that but the introduction to her within the prison system just shows like she just harbors complete everybody harbors complete hatred towards her because mm. of these implied actions that she's done
0: yeah Actually, that fight, the... Uh, the I-, I want someone to take that section and just do it over with the, uh, <clears throat> the, the Halo multiplayer. Ball taken. ball <laughs> dropped. <laughs> ball exploded. <laughs> that, it was just a great sort of fun little caper way of doing it. Uh, originally, it was just going to be um, uh, Gamora and uh, Star-Lord, but they introduced Rocket and Groot at that stage so that they would all be kind of dragged into the mix rather than just meeting in prison kind of like they were already kind of thrown together in the back of the van it's technically the authorities the police that made them a team yeah yeah
5: that, that fight made me realize that that is what a batman gadget fight needs to be
0: yeah so rocket raccoon for the next one i'm sure people have got plenty to say about him so you know go nuts bradley cooper and lest we forget physical stand-in Sean Gunn, brother of James, uh, and who uh, was basically there for all of the filming before Bradley Cooper had said a word.
6: Yeah, uh, I mean, I love Rocket, so if somebody else wants to, to talk a little bit before I take control of everything again Feel oh free. and
0: actually let's, let's not forget the stuffed raccoon that they had there to get, get the lighting <laughs> correct yeah <laughs> <laughs> and sort of wheel in this sort of like standy uh, rocket raccoon stick it there in front of the camera so that basically when they were doing the effects they would be able to tell what rocket if he were actually there would look like and they did their job because I never once doubted that there was a raccoon looking creature in the vicinity
5: the effects were just breathtaking we we just watched uh, the hobbit sequel mm-hmm. which is shameful for the, effects. <laughs> the effects are so so bad in that movie not across the board smaug's awesome Oh, okay, yeah, Smaug is really awesome. But it's that, the big, uh, the wide barrel? shots where
0: bouncy rubber people bounce all over the place. Yeah. That
5: happens throughout, and that barrel scene, oh my god, the graphics in Resident Evil 4 were better.
0: And when <laughs> when Legolas tag-teams with his rubber CGI brother for that fight.
7: Did you see all the gold? I mean, that's where the budget went. Smaug, just I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they, they
0: weren't
7: gold. supposed to buy gold.
4: real gold. Weta like to <laughs> roll
0: in that. Yeah the, the, the CG was absolutely wonderful Especially when he had like um Bedhead after sleeping in that pile Of, uh, <laughs> oh, of prisoners yes, was It's awesome. all mushed up If we're going to get out of here we're going to need to get into that watchtower And to do that I'm going to need a few things
2: The guards wear security bands To control their ins and outs I need one Leave it to me That dude there I need his prosthetic leg His leg? Yeah God knows I don't need the rest of him Look at him he's useless All right. And finally, on the wall back there is a black panel. Blinky yellow light. You see it? Yeah. There's a Quarnix battery behind it. Purplish box, green wires. To get into that watchtower, I definitely need it. How are we supposed to do that? Well, supposedly these bald bodies find you attractive, so maybe you can work out some sort of trade.
4: You must be joking.
2: No, I really heard they find you attractive. Look, it's 20 feet up in the air, and it's in the middle of the most heavily guarded part of the prison. It's impossible to get up there without being seen. I got one plan, and that plan requires a frickin' quarnix battery, so figure it out! Can I get back to it? Thanks. Now, this is important. Once the battery is removed, everything is gonna slam into emergency mode. Once we have it, we gotta move quickly. So you definitely need to get that last. (laughs) Or we can just get it first and improvise.
5: I'll get the armband.
2: Leg.
0: I was amazed, actually, at how um accessible this whole thing was the whole time. Because it's a bunch of criminals. This is why Fox, and we haven't mentioned it for, what, we've, we've been going for uh, 51 minutes. We haven't mentioned it. This is why Fox freaked out and balked at Firefly. They were like, criminals, we can't
5: make them fun and accessible.
0: <laughs> it's a crew of pirates.
5: I was just amazed at how well they anthropomorphized. How do you say that? Anthropomorph- anthropomorphized. 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 Yeah, he, he's. I mean, he looks like a raccoon. He has the, you know, the distinct movements when he's assembling things. He looks like a raccoon digging through trash, but at the same time, he doesn't look like he's not putting something together. Like they just the the and the character was so likable. Like he felt
6: bad for him when he's losing his mind in the in the bar. Like he genuinely felt bad for him. What? I love the way that they did the animations with him. That uh, since he is kind of a literal representation of being kind of halfway between human and animal, he kind of tries to be more human. Like walks around on his hind legs and does There's a lot of like, mannerisms
7: about him. Yeah,
6: yeah. Uh, but then whenever shit really hits the fan, like when he's climbing up Groot in the uh, the prison break on the kiln, like he looks like a raccoon scrambling mm-hmm. up a tree, and like yes. he he's not a like it's not that he's not afraid to like use that for his own advantage that like extra capability the swiftness the being able to you know his
0: size even. but he is small and brittle and someone could step on him and kill him
6: mm. yeah yeah well I mean he the cyber with a big gun
5: yeah yes
3: <laughs> oh
5: yeah oh. I, I, does he do this in the comic because that was one of the greatest things I loved about it because there's always that joke of a little tiny character with a huge huge gun but it, it didn't feel like a cliche to me because he makes the guns. Does does he yeah. do that in the strip? Yes,
6: yes, yes, he does. Yes he does.
1: Nice. He's their tactician, I believe. Yeah.
6: Well, nice, or- nice. Originally, uh, the planet that he's from, he actually was considered the guardian and sort of uh, security guard of sorts. It was um, oh god, what was it? Half world. It was in the Keystone Quadrant and all this shenanigans. Uh, his backstory is completely insane from the comics, but he was actually their security guard. He used rocket roller skates and dual pistols, but whenever he eventually leaves there and gets pulled into the rest of the Marvel Cosmic, he loses the rocket skates and um starts building much larger guns, but he's like a tactical genius. He builds most of their special weaponry and he can fly basically any ship in the universe. Neat. He
4: Struck me as being um, somewhat similar to Stitch. Yes, as yeah. in Lilo and Stitch. The idea that there's this there's this little beastie that um, once upon a time may have been just an ordinary uh, animal stroke person. I mean, we don't know to what degree he was self aware before they started taking him to bits and putting him back together again. But that moment where he's talking about how he didn't ask to be. Created, he you know he didn't necessarily want to be this thing that has obviously quite a damaged sense of identity because there are, um, you know he's he's been used for other people's purposes. Um, I I really enjoyed that that character development and that I felt so sorry for him in that moment and yeah. you know not very dignified but I wanted to kind of pick him up and give him a cuddle. Oh, and I'll tell you who else he reminded me of as well? Reaper Cheap from the the uh, Narnia mm. Chronicles. Yeah. That that sent I mean, Reaper Cheap is very much um, anybody who's not read Narnia by the way, of which I'm sure there is only a handful of people, Reaper Cheap is a three foot high, extremely Cav- he's a cavalier. Uh it, yeah, basically a cavalier but a mouse. Um and literally, he's three-foot-high mouse
0: Rock, with a sword. Rocket's um, more of a merc. Uh, yeah,
4: well, in, in terms of character, hunter. yes. But, yeah. but that idea of... Because with Reaper Cheap, he has this sense of honour that he he will stab you in the hand with his rapier if he thinks that you're impeaching his sense of, of propriety. Um, and from Rocket, I got the same... Uh, you're impeaching
0: that, my sense of propriety. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that, um, that same idea of uh, if if you... Um, insult him or if you uh, patronise him or or treat him as less than he thinks that he, he needs to be treated um, that he will you know bite your hands off
0: <laughs> I'm going to read out a section of this article we keep referring back to here it's called We Are Groot, Guardians of the Galaxy Celebrates Heroes with Authentic Psychological Deficits it's on the website Comics Alliance and it's written by Dr. Andrea Letamendi Leagues and legions of superheroes are usually effective as a direct result of the union of each member's unique abilities, whether they include superhuman strength, lightning speed, telepathy, or other powers that individually define each of them as a deserved hero and collectively create an unstoppable force. Now, in Guardians of the Galaxy, we're introduced to a band of outlaws, outsiders, and outcasts. With the exception of some sweet dance moves and decent marksmanship, we don't immediately get the traditional introduction to the colourful rainbow of superpowers we're accustomed to with superhero teams. There's no amazing, there's no fantastic, and no spectacular. The Guardians themselves refer to themselves as losers and the biggest idiots in the galaxy. They're underperforming, or they're falling below normative expectations. In fact, these space misfits offer something rarely seen in superhero films. The Guardians show emotional, neurological, developmental and communication deficits that one, are not expected to be resolved or cured at the end of the film, and two, do not make them ineffective as heroes. We'll go straight to Rocket, since we're on this subject already. Rocket is an intelligent, language-capable raccoon who is a trained pilot, gifted tactician, and weapons engineer. Rocket knows he's not normal. He's the result of a laboratory experiment and has been genetically altered to possess the insight and intelligence of a human, but maintains the speed and cunning of a raccoon. He walks upright, wears clothing, and carries guns, but his physical body is like a raccoon's but with some cybernetic implants in his back that further highlights he is not fully human, nor raccoon. What's a raccoon? he asks his friends, with almost no awareness that he is an animal as much as he is a communicative person. In fact, being called rodent and vermin offends Rocket because it doesn't align with his identity. Issues with his own identity are further revealed by the distances he creates between himself and painful emotional experiences. While we often witness him expressing anger, ferocity, exasperation, grouchiness, and other secondary emotions, he's not tuned into his primary emotions, feelings like sadness, grief, and fear. Primary emotions are those that occur as a direct result of encountering some kind of cue. For instance, if you have a memory come up about losing someone you care about, the primary emotion that you would come up with is sadness. A secondary emotion might be anger or resentment, if that person was taken from you. When he's vulnerable to feeling these things, Rocket may reject them because they're too difficult to tolerate or he simply isn't equipped to readily process them. Instead, he turns to secondary emotions like anger and irritation. These secondary emotions are often maladaptive because they obscure the truth of the situation, as well as keep Rocket distanced from proper emotional connections. We see him lack understanding when Drax explains he's lost a wife and a daughter to Ronan's destructive attacks across the galaxy. Everyone loses someone, Rocket tells Drax condescendingly and unsympathetically. We
2: all got dead
0: people. It's hurtful. But we know that Rocket isn't a jerk. There's a lot of pain just under the surface and he fights hard to keep from remembering that pain as symbolised by the big guns he keeps between himself and his social world we learn this about him when he senselessly attacks Drax in the bar after simply being compared to a furry rodent you don't know what it's like Rocket yells overwhelmed with anger revealing that his transformation in the laboratory was a traumatic experience emotional self-awareness isn't something we're born with we have to learn how to regulate bad feelings and some of us aren't so good at that. By design, Rocket has impressive executive functioning thats memory, reasoning, planning, problem solving and future orientation. However, perhaps as a result of uncomplimentary human and raccoon neurobiology, he's often emotionally dysregulated. At the end of the film, when Groot sacrifices himself for the team, Rocket finally sheds his exterior and breaks down, giving way to real sadness and grief. His psychological symbiosis with Groot is telling. Rocket's cognitive intelligence and problem-solving help them survive, and Groot's emotional wisdom and sense of relationships keeps them bonded. A large, sentient, tree-like creature, Groot, is the noble partner to Rocket, who can understand his motivations and messages despite Groot's limited language abilities. He can say but three words, I am Groot. Groot's body is thick, awkward, and even silly in appearance, but his physical appearance has an universal element. He has learned to use his body to communicate. In this way, we learn Groot has an emotional intelligence well above that of his peers. When Ronan's ship explodes and begins to crash, Groot does not hesitate to wrap his branches around his friends to create a protective enclosure. Even though doing so will certainly result in his own death. Why are you doing this, Rocket cries, confused. You'll die, Groot. Nonetheless, Groot is resolute in protecting his friends, saying calmly, with assuredness, We
2: are Groot.
0: Groot surprises us with his capacity for self-awareness and his sophisticated understanding of emotional knowledge. He's essentially saying, you're all part of me, an extension of me. Without you, I don't exist. Groot also understands that the destruction of his physical self does not mean he ceases to be. His sense of self transcends his recyclable body. This is an undeniable truth about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is our ability to process emotional information we experience and to use that information to navigate the social world. Someone with high emotional intelligence comprehends themselves in relation to their immediate social environment. That is, we are, in large part, defined by the close relationships we keep. Try to imagine your sense of self, what makes you, you, without referencing the connections in your life, the people and animals you love, and the ones who love you back. As such, Groot's underdeveloped communication skills begin to make more sense, In fact, his three self-referencing words are more than sufficient when we learn about his ability to regulate his and others' emotions. With time, people learn the subtle inflections and nuances of Groot's verbal expressions and can decipher the full range of his communication skills. Groot isn't stupid. He makes us feel stupid to learn we need so many words to express our experiences, our needs, our gratitude. To go back a little bit to Peter Quill again uh, here, the, the, the physical comedy and the easiness of his uh, ability to sort of pull together a very human way of saying something in a, a fun kind of Joss whedon let's face it, Fireflyish kind of way, um, and his ability to engage with the people around him and the uh, audience themselves kind of makes you forget his dickish characteristics... It's, you, you kind of want, and especially because you've seen him as a child, that's very important. This is what Howard Ashman said about, uh, wanting to see the beast as a little, like, any monster beast to begin with so that you'd engage with him. In this case, uh, you, you get to see the pirate after he's been just a boy going through the worst situation imaginable. You root for him. And as a result, when he starts making friends, you root for them as well.
1: But it's the, um, it's the whole concept of this movie. It's like, what would make the lowest, like, criminal, selfish people out for themselves mm. become heroes, and it's a threat so great that they have no choice but to uh, turn and fight.
0: Yeah. They're all selfish except for Groot. 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 Yep wonderful creation absolutely again with the uh, getting without Rocket without Group, this film might have been a tougher sell with the kids with them suddenly it became like Lyra was counting the days when are we going to see Rocket and Group? when are we going to see Rocket and Group? <laughs> she was well, looking forward to this more than the Avengers
6: <laughs> well, wow. I think without them it would be a hard sell for anybody as, yeah. as- we were talking about how, like, Drax and Gamora didn't feel like they had as much, like, backstory in this movie. And I really feel like, if you want to look at it, like, this movie is very, very much Star Lord's movie. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Rocket gets the next, like, most characterization. Oh, yeah. I feel like you really get to know his character really well by the end of it. Well, one of the yeah.
0: things Sharon was lamenting was that. Uh, do you want to do this one, Sharon?
4: In terms of.
0: No, small, intimate, big, loud instead.
4: Uh, Yeah, I I just think in terms of the way it was all stacked, and I, I actually came out of the film thinking that there was more of a reason for it than I had initially thought, but as I said, I found it a bit difficult to really engage with it for about the first third because apart from that, Uh, brief moment with uh, Peter losing his mother at the beginning it then launches into action sequence, action sequence, action sequence, action sequence and it started to feel like they were going for the big loud explosions and they weren't really all that bothered about drawing people in but then there's a turning point and it's when um, uh, Quill starts talking about um, the idea of giving a shit and I suddenly thought this is It seemed to me like what was going on behind the Lego movie. The idea of making something which would get past the people who... Front the money and make the production decisions by saying, "Look, we have all these big, loud explosions, and and we don't, you know, you don't really need to worry about there being much conversation that might lose your audience. It's all there. That you know that the spaceship chases and the prison breaks. Uh, But that's the
0: stuff Kevin Feige likes. He's the guy holding the purse strings.
4: Exactly. But you still have to get it past." Certain gatekeepers in order mm. to get the advertising budget because this is the thing. It's not just the making of the movie. It's the getting the movie promoted yeah. and having the stuff there that you can put in the trailers that they can make that they think everybody will understand. And this how do we get this? It's a lot harder in some...
0: Alien Sanoa because you can't do any product placement.
4: Indeed. And how do we get this segment of the audience and how do we get that segment of the audience? So we don't have any named characters here that people will know widely that we can use to, to push the whole thing.
0: Nowhere brought um, to you by Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and, and it just, uh, there seemed to be something about the idea of going into a situation, being apathetic about it and being, um, you know, selfish about it and not wanting to, uh, not wanting to sacrifice your, Sense of individualism and you being the most important person in this story. Because if you look at them, they've, although their backstories are all relatively thin given the amount of time that they have to, to discuss them, they're all very disparate. There's no sense of them all having a, a shared goal until this big, huge thing comes about. And then it suddenly becomes about this idea that, well, basically apes together strong and they have, individually, no ability to deal with this threat. And as a family, as a group, and working together as a uh, as, uh, as group puts it, we, they get the thing done.
0: Your initial complaint was that there weren't any, like, um, talking to one another. We were watching Thor and Captain America the other day, and um, both of them have held up extremely well. Uh, I recommend going back and watching the Phase 1 films again now in the wake of Phase 2 because uh they're, they're all good, even and including Iron Man 2, which is actually not mm-hmm. dissimilar in tone to this film. I think, ultimately, it, it's simply because Iron Man 1 surprised the hell out of everybody that there was a lot riding on that second film. Anyway, you uh, were gonna Something,
6: but, something just, just occurred to me. Oh, three people at once. Let me just finish. Mm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought okay. you were telling her to go again. No, no, no.
0: no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll just finish it and then I will definitely let you go, Rox, because you haven't, you've hardly been able to say anything oh, because no. everyone's been jabbering. That's um,
7: Lauren, actually. Yeah. Ah, god, god damn it. Though, <laughs>
0: Specious. I'm so sorry. Wait, hang on. Uh, oh, you're literally my thread now. I'm sorry. Okay, oh. right. Uh, no talking. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. There's no sort of quiet, talky, sort of two people talking. The closest is obviously Gamora and uh, Peter, just um, bonding over a little bit of music. And then she, you know, ruins it by saying, none of your pelvic wizardry, so sorcery. Uh, but they don't know each other. They're not getting to know each other. They're very spiky. They've all been hurt. They're surrounded by people who want to kill them. They shout at each other so that they can keep each other at a distance. The talking quietly to each other will happen in Gar- Guardians 2, if at all.
4: But the those films that we've been watching over the weekend, those are all about building a hero. This is about a group of heroes. They're their individual nature the more i thought about this the more sense it made although i may possibly be clutching at straws here but it seemed to me that they were it's about the group it's about what they can achieve together whereas the avengers is about taking people who've already been built up as individual characters and and getting them to work as a team um this seemed to be more about the idea of the team being the unit
0: lauren
6: so While you were talking about the, um, the beginning part being very bombastic, very flashy, very action-oriented, it occurred to me that I wonder if that's kind of tonally there for a reason where that's kind of what we expect to see from an escapist perspective and that's kind of what Peter Quill has done with his whole life after uh, leaving Earth is he's just kind of – an escapist person like i said before and i'm i'm wondering if it was intentional that the whole first part of it just seems like this escapist fantasy i mean even the um the trailers there's something i just watched it again earlier today and like 80 percent of that footage doesn't even appear in the movie <laughs> yep. it's mm. it's remarkable 80 so- seriously well it's like whenever they're talking about bringing them all in Drax isn't part of the initial Nova Corps Yeah that first uh, thing. one the
0: um uh, the like the the thing they stuck out for Comic-Con was like uh like before they really started filming uh, and but they it proved so popular that they kind of incorporated that into the movie on purpose because people were going to ask, well, "Where's that bit? We love like that bit." It,
6: it's it's all the way to the point where there's a there's actually a song that's in the trailer briefly that never appears in the movie because that scene was cut. But it Spirit appears the on sky, the, in the ah. sky, Norman Greenbaum. In the sky. Yep.
0: My theory on that, by the way, is that at the exact point young Peter is abducted. It cut to a long space voyage of the Milana with Spirit in the Sky playing over the opening credits, culminating in Star-Lord stepping off the ship and onto the planet Morag. My further theory is that test audiences were confused as to what happened in the interim two decades and it derailed the movie for several minutes, hence Pete's little dance routine in the ruins in this new credit sequence.
6: So, But it was just occurring to me while you were talking about that that maybe there was a reason for it being this escapist action fantasy for the first part basically until they hit nowhere because once they hit nowhere that's when they have a chance to kind of calm down they're all together they talk a little bit they interact at the bar uh and you have some like great scenes with rocket breaking down with the pelvic sorcery with just everything else
0: it's peter quill living his crazy life away from earth without any responsibilities
7: until it all falls apart when they get to nowhere, because mm. they're scared shitless after that. I mean, the Guardians are now having to face the imminent destruction of the galaxy by this crazed
0: Kree, I guess. That's he is a Kree, think? yeah. The Kree, yeah. When Ronan the Accuser throws Drax into that yellow stuff, could that yellow stuff be Mountain Dew, perhaps? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. Get your clothes out of this movie. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I wondered why they did that, though, because they'd said this thing about they're mining this head and they have vats of um, somebody specifically referred to spinal fluid. Why would they contaminate that by throwing a man into it? What do you mean,
0: they? It's it's uh, (laughs) Rowan, he doesn't give a damn. It's a mining operation. He was just there to kill... An illegal mining operation, to be
7: honest.
4: Oh, they did say there's no regulations. So there you go, people can come in and guff all your resources up
1: small little <laughs> sidetrack i yeah. love the inclusion of the celestials in this as one of mm. the easter eggs the fact that they obviously they're mining nowhere is the head of a celestial yeah and during um the collector's uh presentation you actually see a collector in concept celestial celestial sorry is
0: galactus a celestial
1: no no they're one of his main antagonists though
0: balls However, Galactus, of course, won't feature in this, because folks have the
1: Keep the dream alive, my friend.
0: And the Silver Surfer one feature in this, because folks have the Keep the dream but alive, you might get to some movie. There is someone who
7: does feature in this that is part of the Silver Surfer's universe at the very end.
3: Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh.
0: Yep. Back to Groot which I sort of half-mentioned before. Wonderful creation. Like I said, you know, big popular one with the kids. And uh, Vin Diesel very specifically said that he found an emotional note in his performance invoking the death of his friend and Fast and Furious co-star Paul Walker, saying, "Uh, This was in December 2013, and the first time I came back to dealing with human beings after dealing with death. So playing a character who celebrates life in the way Groot does was very nice. And that's, that's just a lovely sentiment. And uh, uh, there, there's something really just full of life and fulfilling about the character of Groot. And his simplicity, there's something zen-like about him. He's an enormous bonsai.
1: I I personally, I always love the um, whole concept of a character who can barely be understood by anybody else and mm. the character who can understand them. Yeah. And they never acknowledge the fact They acknowledge the fact that nobody else can understand them, but they never elaborate it to each other. Like, they're having their own private conversation, and you're just going to have to try and infer what we're talking
0: about. Iron Giant fans, of course, got a treat here, because there were many similarities in his mannerisms. just a little... Like, after he smashed apart those guys with his uh, (laughs) his conscience, (laughs) I went overboard, leaving Quill and, and Rocket just standing, staring, and then turned around and went, Hmm? That was a giant-like action, and just the little uh, sounds. He didn't have to say Iron Groot to still be making noises. And when he uh,
7: whimpers and his arms are missing, and he's sitting there kicking them, and Rocket's like, "Oh, you big lug! They'll grow back."
0: Yeah, (laughs) it just felt fulfilling to finally get people to see that performance. You know, because you can tell them till the cows come home to watch the Iron Giant. But until it turns up in a Marvel movie, they won't go see it. And how
1: often do you see a living tree be a superhero?
0: Yeah, Um one, That's
1: Yes, one interesting. I
6: I think it's also interesting that they uh, they actually went pretty far from the comics for Groot, at oh, yeah. least in certain ways. Because in the movie, we don't really get much of his backstory from the movie we you know we just know he's traveling with rocket um but he kind of he acts very endearing very um you know, not super intelligent i mean I, I was reading an interview or something where somebody mentioned where uh, peter quill calls him giving tree and how appropriate <laughs> that actually is
0: that went over the heads of uh, all british audiences or the ones who weren't too quick to catch it
6: ah uh, but in the <laughs> comics Groot is actually hyper-intelligent and a monarch of a planet? Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. He's the monarch of Planet X. Oh, my. Rocket
5: implies the intelligence. Rocket basically says you're all too dumb to understand what he can say (laughs) in in three words. He says that outright. That way he can big
1: up his own intelligence as well. I'm, yeah. like, I'm, I'm the only one <laughs> of high enough intellect to understand this great being. <laughs> That's right.
7: He's constantly but, trying to overcompensate for his insecurities this entire time, yeah. and Groot is like his emotional center that keeps him balanced.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I got a distinct feeling that the only reason Groot is out in the universe is because he befriended Rocket. It's like Rocket needs Groot more than Groot needs Rocket.
7: Yeah. Oh, he's trying to keep him alive. I mean, let's mm. face it, Rocket's a bit suicidal. When it comes to
6: <laughs> I was just going to say that in the comics, uh, Groot actually got exiled from his planet for saving a maintenance mammal, mm-hmm. which is a small raccoon-like creature that they had actually like um, maintaining their like giant tree gardens where all the uh, flora colossus are from. And uh, there were some others from his sap line that were, like, treating one poorly and, like, beating it up. And he saves it. And so, in response, they kick him out of the planet. And it's actually the only thing that saves him, because the whole planet gets destroyed.
0: Oh, you've just reminded me, that bit at the beginning where uh, little Peter says um, a bunch of other kids were picking on a little old frog and he'd never done nothing. He goes out of his way to save the life of a green chick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
6: I mean, it kind of goes the whole way through. He goes out of his way to try to save the life of everybody.
3: Yeah.
7: Because he can't deal with the fact that he lost his mother, so he's trying to save as many people as he can to Mm -hmm. compensate for that. It was his inaction that didn't lead him to grab that hand. And so now he's just
6: constantly seeking redemption for that. And that's such better characterization than in the comics, where he's just, I'm kind of a prick, but I am also the prince of this planet, so I do good things.
0: I don't think he's been trying for his what was it like 17 18 years um to uh, to 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 save people. I think he's been able to avoid that for and live the life of a pirate. Um, but when given the chance, he doesn't have to think about it too much. There's no agonizing over it. He just decides it's the thing to be done. And I do absolutely love that thing he says about uh, it's our chance to give a shit. It's a very, very simple sentiment, but it's uh, the antidote to the poison of uh, um apathy... Oh, i'm overstepping the here. Yeah.
4: <laughs> his explanation for why they ought to save the galaxy though makes perfect sense yeah. for who his character is because he's one of the people who lives in it because he can recognize <laughs> that bad things happening even if it looks like it's in a relatively small corner of the galaxy are going to have a knock-on effect and it's going to end up impacting everybody
7: rocket has a line that actually um runs in with that where he says, "Group, we have to get to the other end of the galaxy and hopefully it won't hit us until way later on. That's the only way we can get away from uh, Ronan and his men.
5: First of all, congratulations on the film. It's awesome. And you know, we, <laughs> what we learned a long time ago, you put out some great personal videos up on YouTube, you walking around on the stilts and stuff like that. What was clear was your excitement for this film. What was it to you that got you that excited for it?
8: Well, the first thing was, uh, as you remember last year, there was a, a, a kind of a social media frenzy about what I was gonna do and what my, you remember that. Oh, you, I do. You covered it. Yes, I watched did. your show. <laughs> I, he, by the way, guys, this guy is one of the really good ones. If you want, I'm not joking, if you want a real interesting perspective about movies or what's gonna come up or whether things will work or not, John is has a blog, has a site, yeah, with AMC, um, uh, with AMC. Uh, but you make it feel so natural; it doesn't feel Thank corporate, you so much. which is cool. And the the other girls on the show are so cool. They are. You, you guys feel honest. You're not afraid to give opinions. They all feel like they're coming from the heart. It never feels like you're working for any studio. It doesn't feel like you've been co opted. It's a, you really do have a good, let's a good talk show. more
5: about me. This is my favorite interview today so far. <laughs> this is great.
8: <laughs> but I'm telling you that I've watched <laughs> you. You're really good at it. Well, really, you really, you really have a way of making, making people feel like they are going to feel like you will feel. You have a, you have a universality about your, your approach to Describing movies and and the potential of movies and whether things are a go or a no go, whether you bet on it or not. Um, so yeah, so you 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 were ahead of it. So yes, <laughs> yes. to answer your question, I was very enthusiastic. Um, I've been acting all my life and. Uh, long before I ever became a bouncer, longer (laughs) before I ever knew what a muscle was, um, I was a a child actor hustling to do off-off-off Broadway plays. My father was a theater director and would, you know, always throw out these, you know, thespian truths like, there are no small roles, only small actors. (laughs) And so that thespian kind of... New York, downtown New York spirited, uh, actor in me was slightly challenged by the idea of playing a character that's limited to three words. I mean, <laughs> if you really think about it, what greater challenge could any actor have? I'm not able to use my mannerisms or my physicality to express myself in a scene. Uh, I, I don't have an a unlimited supply of words at my disposal. I've got three words, and I've got to find a way in each repetition of those three words to convey something different. Thankfully, James Gunn was as excited about the role as I was. And committed to the role as I was and ambitious about the role as I was. And he came into the ADR booth with a 50-page document. (laughs) And on the left-hand side of the document, it said, I am Groot. I am Groot (laughs) five, six times down the page. And on the right side was what he might have said.
3: Oh, wow. What
8: he meant, what he intended, what he was going for if you could understand this extraterrestrial's language. Um, and that made the process so much more rich, so much more challenging in a fun way. Uh, but it helped to make each time that Groot speaks different than the last right. and unique and... Sometimes it was about changing the breathing pattern in between the words or the inflection or the nuances that you could bring to it. Um, So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience in that regard.
5: Well, listen, man, the movie far exceeded all of our expectations. Congratulations. Thank you for bringing so much humanity to the group. We can't wait to have it on AMC screens.
8: Oh, thank you, man. That means a lot to me, John. Oh, uh,
0: research update. Pirates of the Caribbean the Curse of the Black Pearl came out in 2003, just after Fox had decided against an uh, a t- ongoing TV show about space pirates. Because, <laughs> of course, no one's going to like that. Of course. And again, Serenity made, I think, just about made just under its budget of $39 um, million. And uh, I, I kind of feel like, and i said this before, if you would relaunched it today from the director of The Avengers, that movie would do really fucking well. I
4: Probably. suspect you are right. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, same as The Iron Giant. Stick that out from the director of The Incredibles and Ratatouille.
5: Hmm. I wonder what it actually costs to put a movie back in theater.
0: A lot less with digital distribution.
5: Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, eh? Yeah.
0: Um right, so the fifth member of the team the fifth Beatle, Drax the Destroyer, played by wrestler Dave Batista.
1: A total surprise for me. Uh-huh. Oh, he steals for, for the everybody. scene so much. Yeah. The the fact that he is he's this huge hulking creature who has such a he has a tragic backstory, but it's quite common throughout the universe.
0: Then i screwed you over, huh?
4: You yeah. the club?
1: <laughs> Literally. We have
4: t shirts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the fact that he cannot understand it comes from a group of beings who don't get the subtleties of metaphors and similes. They're very literal. And the scene where <laughs> the scene where Peter has to convince him not to kill Gomorrah and the the whole interplay between the other criminals in the room. Peter and Drax just trying to get through this this message that if you stick with us, you can get to Ronin and you can kill him. But only if you stay with us and the whole... them trying to explain him in the most literal form is... it it just adds to the humour of the whole film. Woman, your
2: words mean nothing to me! Hey, 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 hey! You know, if killing Ronan is truly your sole purpose, I don't think this is the best way to go about it. Are you not the man this wench attempted to kill? Well, I mean, she's hardly the first woman to try and do that to me. Look, this is like from a smoking hot Ray Jack girl. Stabbed me with a fork. Didn't like me skipping out on her sunrise. I got right here a Cree girl. Tried to rip out my thorax. She caught me with this skinny little Oscar Marion who worked in Nova Records. I was trying to get information. Ever see an Oscar Varian I have tentacles and needles for teeth think I'm seriously interested in that you don't care but here's the point she betrayed Ronan he's coming back for her and when he does that's when you why would I put my finger on
3: his throat
2: what oh no it's a symbol This this is a symbol for you slicing his throat I would not slice his throat I would cut his head clean off. It's a general expression for you, killing somebody. You've heard of this. You've seen this, right? You know what
0: that is. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows.
3: No. No.
0: Further reading from the article on the psychology of Guardians of the Galaxy by Dr. Andrea Lettermendi. Drax can only think logically about concrete events and has difficulty understanding abstract or hypothetical concepts. He's unable to grasp metaphors, sarcasm and abstraction. Similar to persons with complex neurodevelopmental conditions or learning disabilities, which often include social and communication deficits, Drax responds to sensory aspects of his environment with unusual indifference. He has attention to detail but misses the big picture. Often the social big picture includes the collective motivations of those around us. Drax has an extensive vocabulary, knows several words for the same thing, but has trouble with words that represent ideas rather than things. For instance, when he hears that everything goes over his head, he disagrees. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. Similarly, he attempts to share with his new friends that he's grateful for them, but inadvertently offends Rocket by calling him vermin and Gamora by calling her a green whore. His intention is to state the observable facts, not knowing the terms used can have negative connotations. Some of us experience this feeling once in a while. We have moments in social situations or office meetings where we simply just don't get the joke or fail to recognize we have hurt someone's feelings. Others, however, like persons on the autism spectrum or those with learning disabilities, experience this feeling all the time. They may not realise they speak in monotone, or they do not laugh after the right social cues. They do not recognise the needs to change volume of their voice in various settings when the social environment requires such adaptations. They may think they are being kind and gentle, but others experience them as cold and cruel. Drax does comprehend his own deficits and makes realistic attempts to understand the intentions of others. Although it feels unnatural and is not part of his wiring, he even practices the use of metaphor as a way to improve communication with his friends.
9: By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you cancelled.
0: Oh
8: good,
2: yeah, Abed, cancel us. And while you're at it, why don't you take your cutesy, I can't tell life from TV
9: gimmick with you. You know, it's very season one, I can tell life from TV, Jeff. TV makes sense. It has structure, logic, rules, and likable leading men. In life, we have this.
6: We have you. And that is such a great callback in the end, whenever Drax goes up against Korath.
3: Yeah.
6: um, And just the whole finger to the throat means death. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: metaphor
0: apparently uh, Dave Batista, when he found out he uh, got the role uh, was close to tears with excitement and uh, uh, just because obviously big fan of the Marvel stuff and immediately took acting classes because he wanted to be at his absolute best and uh, yeah
7: well this is one of the
0: biggest breaks you can possibly
7: get I mean it's a Marvel film regardless of whether or not it would be good you still are getting your name out there from at least like all the uh pre-release coming out
1: uh not not another little bit of trivia um there's actually supposed to be like a small little fight scene between um peter and uh, drax and both uh chris and uh batista got really into it they spent low they spent all their time just rehearsing the choreography then they they came in and says oh we're we're not going to put that in the
3: movie
1: (laughs) 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 so they they spent all that time like learning that choreography and just never got put in Jeez, wow (laughs) but it just goes to show like how dedicated he was to this whole thing because if you apart from the rock you don't really think as many wrestlers as good actors for movies. I oh, mean, yeah? I'd like obviously-
0: to remind you of a little movie called Suburban Commando. <laughs> <laughs> Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. The Holster. Oh. Carry on, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you're right, no, there aren't many fantastic uh, wrestlers. Tyler Mayne, EB warned.
1: He, he had been trying to get out there. I mean, I don't know if anybody, any of you saw... Riddick. Oh, not even that. Uh, he was totally in that. <clears throat> it sucked,
0: but not because of him.
1: The... Um... RZA film the
0: Man with the Iron Fists.
1: yeah Man with the Iron Fist he played Brass Knuckle in that Ah. and you could see like he was throwing himself into that role so he he's definitely he 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 really wanted to play somebody like that and he clearly got his chance in this one yeah
6: uh, there was, I was thinking about it <clears throat> the other day about, you know, Dave Batista, like, I never really saw him in a movie before. Um, Chris Pratt, I literally didn't know from anything. I didn't even know he voiced the main character for the Lego movie until I think you told me, Alex. Um, like, it's just like, oh, it's an animated character. I've never heard this voice before. And then the biggest names, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper are kind of hidden behind CGI yeah. characters. Sure. And then, um, what is it, James Gunn is kind of like his other movies are, what, Slither, Super and like I think the Scooby-Doo films like nothing that's yeah.
0: <laughs> real well think he wrote them, didn't, didn't direct
6: them yeah, but but he did a lot of directing and stuff for Trauma. so like you know, coming yeah, out of nowhere to. the idea that there's all these people that are basically coming out of nowhere to make something so great mm. parallels the actual characters in the movie so well yeah. I just appreciated that quite a bit especially since Batista was so good as that character they're the
0: losers, the other guys Marvel B-roll yeah, the yeah. B, C, D roll. I mean, Oak, seriously, Oak, these guys are, are nobodies. D- Daredevil is C roll. Come on, man, Star Lord,
5: <laughs> <Star-Lord>. legendary <laughs> outlaw. I <laughs> ah, forget it. Batista was just—he was—you he, could tell that he was having a blast the whole time. Like there, there's when you're when you're watching an actor and you can just tell that they're actually having fun doing the role, as well as acting. Like there's, sometimes they're just chewing the scenes, and that's fun, too. He was not chewing the scenes, but he was still having a blast every single moment.
7: Oh, the equivalent of the trench run in the movie, whenever they crash into the ship, <laughs> and he's just <laughs> laughing
5: hysterically <laughs> at
1: everything. Not, not even that, like, when they're all in the circle, turn talk about their plan, he says, I, I thought, like he mentions about we we saved you it says we've already established that that was not really saving me i'm sorry i wasn't listening but he <laughs> just says oh i wasn't listening
0: imagine uh, telling your friends and family dudes i'm in a marvel movie <gasps> who are you playing drax yeah. the destroyer, the destroyer. <laughs> in in what movie guardians of the galaxy what what what's that <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know either, but uh, we're going to know about it at some point. <laughs> and, and now we do. Now everybody does. I, I, this is a triumph because, um, I mean, the, the, the it, to be able to make something like this come out of nowhere, when uh, I wonder how much Green Lantern made. Yeah, green. That's a good uh, DC Not equivalent. Uh, so, some shitty review I read uh, said that it felt like Green Lantern, and it was like, um, what... Fucking movie were you watching?
1: Ugh. I, I can't. Did they it. literally just watch Green Lantern and just assumed they were the Guardians of the Galaxy?
0: <laughs> there is, I mean, this, there's a parallel with the. Um, it was, it was more just that the stylistic uh, blend of absolutely fuck all happening and just mu- meaningless action, which was Green Lantern, which nobody else has seen when they watched Guardians of the Galaxy. Everyone else had a rollicking good time. Green Lantern made 219 million, so a lot less than Guardians of the Galaxy. That is with like the fourth most important DC character. That's how underachieving DC have been up to now. With a similar premise, let's face it, you know, it's, uh, the way that Ryan Reynolds plays Hal Jordan, is really not that different from Star-Lord.
6: Well, I no. mean, mentioning Green Lantern, though, because uh, Guardians of the Galaxy has the Nova Core, which yeah. is sort yeah. of like Marvel's version of the like, Green Lantern. Like, really? <laughs> literally. Yeah. yeah, very literally. Except they're yellow. Ha ha, they're better. <laughs> um but- <laughs> But the whole movie follows characters that are just kind of like, you know, on the periphery of that. It's almost like the Green Lantern movie is happening over there, but these are the more interesting characters, so we're going to follow them.
0: The other fellas. Speaking of terrible wastes of time, the one person in this uh, movie who uh, seemed to be kind of lagging behind everything else was Ronan the Accuser, for me. Red Skull, um, what was his name, Malekith yeah. the Dark World, uh, just yet another nobody of a villain.
6: Well, uh, see, but he was, um, a religious zealot. Yeah. And the idea that he was just kind of out there, I mean, it's kind of topical for the day, but in the comics, the main bad guy or the, the, the Church of the Universal Truth and they're nothing but religious zealots, and they make no sense in the comics in, in a big way. The fact that they took the same, a lot of the same beats that the Guardians hit in the comics against that enemy with this new one that actually is more interesting to at least watch, I felt was, uh, something. Although it's interesting to note that in the comics, he's not really a bad guy. He actually no, no. kind of goes back and forth. He even fights with Quill for um, a couple we'll of We won't get that opportunity now. <laughs> not
0: so much. I think that, that might have bothered me maybe the most. that They just straight up killed him. It's like, well, I, we don't really think we can do anything with this guy in the future. This is going to have no impact on him at all. Just blow him up.
6: Well, they made I mean, his character so driven there really wasn't anything else they could do
0: same with Malakath. I mean he's, uh, there's nothing between him and Malekith really. it's, it's the
1: problem of they're trying to bring to the forefront like give an idea of what's been going on politically throughout the universe, the whole hmm. treaty signing and you've got this they also have to present someone who would be crazy enough to work with Thanos and the only sort of place you get is a genocidal Religious zealot who's going against his old people to destroy an entire race of people.
3: I'll take you to the seven
9: I don't think this
0: necessitates boring, though, does it? No, but it's the way they've done—they have made him boring. Well, uh, look at Tony J in *Hunchback of Notre Dame*. That—that's a fascinating character in a kind of a horrible, grim kind of way. And that—that uh, that mainly came down to the power struggle thing. I think they could possibly have given more character to Ronan by having him interact more with Nebula, because ultimately well, there's a power struggle going on there. He wants to exert control over her, but at the same time, when she finds out he's going to kill Thanos, she's all ears.
6: Or, or Korath, because in the comics, they're, like, buds. Yeah. yeah. You know, something Gee. else just occurred to me. I'm sorry, I keep talking over here. <laughs> anyway. <I was> <laughs> um, you just mentioned Red Skull, Malekith, and Ronan altogether as being, like, very similar. They're also the only three bad guys that were obsessed and came in contact with Infinity Gems.
5: Ah, one dun, each. Dun, dun, dun. One per person. See, you got to remember they, they could bring any of them back because they, they all had some kind of a cosmic death or were involved with the Infinity Gems. So if they oh, really wanted to, they'll bring the skull to, back at some point. You yeah, know? it's yeah. comics they are really going to. to bring someone back. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I, um Ronin was made up for me. Like it, the the any of shortcomings were made up for me with one line at the end when he turns to Quill when he starts dancing. And I swear it's like they asked him to do the scene twice. They asked him to do the scene as Rodan the Accuser, and then I think he was just asked. No, no. Now do the scene as – I'm sorry. What's the actor's name? Lee Pace. Just and do it now, as Lee Pace. Now, now do it as Lee Pace because he totally – like the whole movie's all, bro, I trust the stick. Bro. And, then yeah. he, and then he starts dancing. she's, what are you doing? Like very – just yes, completely. His voice changes. Really, and that was it. That, that sold it for me because he was just – it was so – perfectly delivered that, that it worked
0: for me <laughs> uh, see at that point i got excited cuz i was like hang on hang on are they going to defeat him with ideology are they going to talk to him and get him to just go ugh, oh, what am i are doing going to have a footloose <laughs> moment and
7: we're just going to teach cuz i mean
0: just to, for them to do that and for them to end the movie like that i mean it technically that's how mal beat the operative in the end. He broke both his goddamn arms or pulled them out of their sockets (laughs) and forced him to watch the the incriminating uh, evidence of uh, his government's um, horrendous treatment of people and then just sucked all of the enthusiasm out of him for his job and then that was it And, and he basically changed his ideology. That's a brilliant way for Serenity to end and they even show that basically had Mal just straight out killed him everyone that he knew and loved would be dead as would he. I thought that they could possibly have done that in a way that wasn't basically just special blood. However, <laughs> the the way that that happened with the I suppose we could talk about this, a bit. the way that, that happened when then he grabs the Infinity Gem and then she grabs him and then they all band together and I thought, well, wouldn't it be brilliant that? Uh, and that's how I interpreted it the first time. That because um, only one person's ever attempt. Like people have attempted one at a time to grab hold of the thing. No oh. one's ever basically shared the load. No one's oh. ever been brave enough to basically uh, be able to do that. Oh no, they, they
5: did well, that. Hold on, hold on.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> then at the end they go, oh yeah, but that probably worked because you got special blood because you uh, got a special dad.
1: Actually, they um, the collector does say a group of people did manage to
0: control it for a time.
6: All oh, right. But they were consumed as well. Yep. That's so,
0: unfortunately, the special blood saved it. Well, why didn't he not, not say that? And why didn't that actually be the thing? Because everyone had always been too selfish to actually... And had all been trying to get the power themselves. Well, why, does, why wasn't that the ending? Why did it have to come down to special <laughs> alien blood? Well, well,
6: it, it's important. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Uh, it's... Which one of us? <laughs> uh, okay, right. I am the Adjudicator. I am the Accuser. The Accuser. Okay, right. Um, Lauren, you've been talking too much. Giro, yes, You go. <laughs>
1: well, it would go towards saying that the Infinity Gems are some sort of sentient form of energy when they're just an energy source that existed at the beginning of the universe. So to say that's because of its ideals would say that the energy has some sort of sentience and that. Not necessarily, just
0: that if you space, space the energy out amongst four people, their frames won't become so unstable.
3: But ah. they,
0: they
1: did actually give the example of that already.
0: But they didn't have to! <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is that that would have been a nice ending for the whole point of it being that it was the team that did it, rather than one person with special blood, and also the team, but yeah, I mean, technically, well, it, he couldn't it have handled that from his own. The it was literally... Yeah, it was, the blood
7: his just special meant blood he, just sorry. kept him from completely and utterly vaporizing. <laughs> yeah. Like, we <laughs> saw
0: that he was going to. His so skin was peeling off of his face. Also, because you got special blood. I don't know. I, I think, I'm basically just, like, I've got a little special blood detector that goes yeah. boing as soon as someone mentions some bullshit about lineage.
4: I don't... <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't mainly down to the how... fact that
0: the first version of my book had a kid with special blood. <laughs>
4: So you're very sensitive to it. I don't necessarily think, though, whoever his father turns out to be, they've already said the Infinity Stones will consume anybody mortal who touches them. So I, I that, to me, just seems like a completely wasted line.
5: I'm pretty sure – isn't that why Thanos even has to have the, the gauntlet? Even Thanos can't touch them, can he? No, he
1: can. It's just – he wants yeah. to destroy the entire universe, and he needs the Infinity Gauntlet to do
0: that. He has the Gauntlet; uh, is that's totally badass. That's why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the reason, the problem they want to seed in the whole special thing of Peter Quill isn't just human, but his yeah, they need so
0: blood. It's sort of a way you. to
1: make it make it throw away with while well, well, making it a bit
5: important. Yeah, that's how I saw it anyway. Okay, yeah, I, but I, you I, should I just about be more about his father. Just yeah, you, d- you should
4: just be important because of the fact that your sperm came from somewhere right, alien.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't
1: see it as him being important. he's just. That's the only reason he's still there right now is because, like, all of them would have died eventually if they held on to it. It's just he would have died quicker if it wasn't a bit more alien.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so My brain works weird.
1: He had
4: his blue pants on that day, which meant that his resistance to the jail was increased <laughs> tenfold. But that
0: pig girl was totally alien as well. She was a hundred percent alien. I mean, was she here of uh, uh, an alien she was race? Special station? alien. Oh, for good. <laughs>
6: Did, Did she have special? So I didn't interpret it that way at all. I'm, uh-huh. In the end, whenever they say, "Oh, well, it looks like you actually have you're a hybrid," maybe that's why you held it for so long. I, I thought that was like a throwaway line setting up the next movie. Mm. I actually thought it was that scene where, like, the, the stone's tearing him apart, and then when Gamora's reaching out and says, take my hand, and he looks at her, and, like, the whole scene changes for that brief moment, and it becomes his mother. I thought the stone itself related more to kind of a force of personality or the force of the person, like, like the strength of will behind the person, and that, that scene of him... Uh, Seeing Gamora, remembering his mother and that whole inaction was what actually let him hold the stone until the four of them could link up. And then the four of them together have so much willpower because of all the bullshit that they've gone through. They're all basically – except maybe Drax – Like the last of their species in a a lot of ways or the only one of their type that they just managed to together through sheer willpower hold the stone back long enough to use it on Ronin. But then even after that, Gamora had to uh, to seal it in the uh, sphere or it was still going to destroy them all. Because I, I, I took it a completely different way. I took it that it was his mother and that willpower related to her is what actually saved him. And the Nova Corps were just looking for something. They're like, maybe it was this. Oh, we don't know.
0: <laughs> they I mean, they're, they're the local police station. Let's face it. They're, they're, they're not necessarily going to be able to work down deep philosophical, biological, physics-based uh conundrums.
7: They have John C. Riley working for them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was <laughs> He was basically somewhere between Wreck-It Ralph and the character he played in Magnolia. (laughs) Yeah. I did like, I loved the when he went in and embraced his family. That made it kind of, uh, you know, this is what it's actually all about. That was a wonderful ending.
6: And the fact that they were literally saved by Rocket Mm. earlier in the film. Like, it it was just, it looked like random extras that were saved. But in the end, it turned out to literally be his family. And when he says, you saved my family, like, we get to see that.
5: I like that. Everybody's connected, yeah. That was nice. Alex, just in case it was going to get forgotten, or maybe you're saving it, but what is your theory on the father? You said you had one there.
0: Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know how much about it, and, and Lauren could probably uh, confirm or disconfirm this one. Adam Warlock? Uh,
6: I highly doubt it. I mean, if they take it from the... I mean, it, it's possible if they completely change the character, because in the comics, Adam Warlock is actually a genetically created being to be, like, the perfect being. Uh-huh. And uh, he gets... um. He gets taken, whisked away by some galactic person to, uh, kind of hone his various magical abilities, and then eventually he becomes, in, in one future, becomes the Magus, which is the leader of that church I mentioned before, and kind of tries to wipe out all of, uh, life. For, oh, just like that. Yeah. Could he so- perhaps
0: appear on Earth as like a big angel of light?
6: It's some. Uh, so, uh, it's unlikely because he never portrayed any kind of ability like that in the comic i mean like i said if they totally change the character around i mean the well, it's mainly there. down to the
0: fact that, that, that he is a, like a dead cert for the next film and you also need to find out who peter quill's father is and they've also said it's not Jason of spartex oh yeah so i works. mean could rather than be? just bringing in another serious guy make it his dad
4: could he be the legendary missing summer's brother
0: no, because Fox and the man. It, yeah, that's so that's wait, wait
1: <laughs> I've got an even more implausible theory. <laughs> He's silver surface child. So
5: he has power cosmic <gasps> oh, in him. That's why. Now, yeah. see, Fox. Oh, that will work. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> let's do, maybe let's do a big middle finger to us and it will be uh, Stan Lee's kid.
0: Nice. Yeah, so he was basically. He, Stan Lee turned up earlier as the, the Stan the Ladies Man at uh, yeah. Rocket. pointed <laughs> out.
2: I look around, you know what I see? Losers. I mean, like, folks who have lost stuff. Our homes, our families. And we're facing a threat that could destroy us all. If we're gonna save the galaxy, we're gonna have to do it together partners why would you want to save the galaxy because i'm one of the idiots who
3: lives in it oh what the hell i don't got that long a lifespan anyway why would you risk your life for this
2: because right now life's giving us a chance to do what something good Something
5: bad, a bit of both. I will fight beside you. I will destroy you
2: and your world. Fuck! you gotta go through us. We're the frickin' Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm with them. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have part of a plan. What percentage of a plan? I don't know. 12%. 12%? <laughs> That's a fake laugh. It's real. Totally fake. That is the most real, authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life because that is not a plan. I
8: am Groot.
2: So what? It's better than 11%. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Thank you. Groot's the only one of you who has a clue.
3: Oh.
5: get your tickets now at vandango
0: did anyone else notice this do you remember the bit in the prison when the gravity turns off thanks to rockets uh, machinations and then everyone starts floating i yes. swear on my mother's life that i saw for a brief second through the window in their unit uh peter in his yellow jumpsuit floating and then it cut to the inside of the pod and, uh, um, uh, Gamora said, everyone's floating but us. And like an earlier version of that scene, they were also floating, but it proved difficult to really coordinate everyone. So they just had it only affect them on the outside. Anyone I else didn't spot this?
6: Oh, did not see that. They
0: almost certainly will have, uh, uh, digitally altered it for the Blu-ray if that, if that, what did turn up and flash up and somebody may have noticed that. You can just paste a picture of that window over it so that, uh, no one ever spots that. But if anyone else listening saw that happen, let me know because I felt like I was hallucinating at that point.
7: Something else <laughs> that happens in the prison is a small little cameo from an actor that we all know and love. Oh yes. Um, you remember the big blue guy that Groot ends up sticking his fingers up his nose. Oh yes. And then holding him up. That was Nathan Fillion.
5: Yep, <laughs> that was his voice. Yeah. There Probably was his yeah. nose. There was another cameo in the prison. Did you guys see it?
6: Lloyd Kaufman. Yep, trauma, Hello. trauma master. Nice. He's been in almost every one of James Gunn's films that he did for Troma. He's uh, the older guy up on the railing right after uh, Quill takes, like, an apple to the head or whatever that was. uh, And it's panning across all the people yelling at Gamora. He's, like, the older guy just, like, shouting. It's a space apple.
0: Yeah, Yeah. we're doing little things that we spotted. Uh, The Milano, their their, uh, ship, named after? Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano, who was in who's the boss uh, who's the boss which was probably uh young peter quill's favorite show at the time but just before he left earth it was definitely james gunn's favorite show
1: um i have to fill for for fill my hulk quota because uh-huh. i always mention him in every one of these podcasts the it's... pink people are sicarans which is a reference to planet hulk
6: yes ah yes what? Not, wait, the pink people? No, the, the Sakarans are the uh, force fighting for Ronin.
0: Yeah, the sort the, of the withered looking guys.
6: Yeah, the Sakaran army that I call them paper people.
0: Sakar. Also in the career, uh, the collector's gallery, uh, there's loads of little uh, things in, mm. in there. There's the, a Dark the, Elf. Spot, there is a Dark Elf played by anybody? Oh, Doug Jones.
5: Oh, really?
4: Oh, Sharon, indeed.
0: did you notice him?
4: I did not. Did no, a I will next time. Sad, but...
0: As is a chaturi, so clearly they didn't get them all. <laughs> yeah.
6: uh, the also, also, for the collector, there's the slug creatures from James Gunn Slither. Correct. One one
0: uh, James Gunn Slither also featured Greg Henry as uh, the asshole husband of Elizabeth Banks's character, and he was playing the grandfather of Peter at the beginning. Uh, he was also in that Firefly episode,
5: The Train Job, where they stole the medicine and then gave it back.
4: Ah, he I knew was I recognized him from somewhere.
5: There's mm. a character in continuity that, I mean, he's probably dead by now, but my goodness, how fucked up would you be after losing your daughter and your grandchild on the same day?
3: Yeah. That's one thing I
5: was thinking about was one of the reasons that Peter might not go back to Earth
7: is it's been twenty years. His grandfather and grandmother could be dead by now and he oh, just Dad, might yeah. not want to face that.
0: Yeah. He's got nothing like, left to to go exactly. back to.
7: Yep.
0: It's like uh Azim. <laughs> Anybody? Azim?
4: Azim? Robin Hood Prince of Thieves?
0: That is nothing left to go home to. Ah. Uh anyone know who played Dancing Little Groot at the end?
5: Played? Yeah, for the motion cap. Oh, really? Oh, no, I didn't even realize it was motion cap. It was James Gunn himself. Ah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. He's um, got
0: moves. We've got a few uh, more things and a few more characters to get through before we get to the very, very end. Uh, what are we on now? Uh, hour and 41. Let's just do this thing. Um, <laughs> Yondu, played by Michael Rooker. Blue fellow. Um, best way to describe him, uh, James Gunn said he was the ugly Eli Wallach from uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which would make... Uh, Peter Quill, the good, Clint Eastwood, Blondie, and Lee Pace, Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef Pace, the bad.
7: When does Peter get a monkey then?
0: <laughs>
7: That's gonna Technically it's an arongate <laughs>
5: thing. No Marvel monkeys. No, there I there are, that. I can't think of any of them right now. They, Marvel didn't do the monkey thing as much.
7: Mm do the monkey thing
5: also the dog
0: Cosmo the uh, uh, the dog in the space suit is like a yes. Russian cosmonaut and it speaks that was a real missed opportunity there
6: no kidding well I think so I don't know if we wanted to talk about Nowhere a little bit but that was a huge uh, like they moved really far away from how Nowhere was in the comics mm-hmm. for the portrayal in the movie because in the comics it's almost like Babylon 5 but in a giant celestial's head mm-hmm. and Cosmo is like you said this russian cosmonaut dog actually based on uh laika the first animal to go around the earth in in space um and cosmo has telekinetics telepathy and like all these other things and he is hilarious in the comics yeah. he and rocket go like they butt heads all the time and how that scene would that not there-
0: be just for one scene how would that not be a brilliant like bring the house down moment I mean, I know it's been done in Men in Black, but still.
6: Well, the, 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 the best they could do is when rockets walking past and they kind of growl at each other. Mm. But since Nowhere in the comics is a space station where a bunch of different races kind of treated as neutral ground and it's sort of um, adjacent to all points in the galaxy and other reasons. Um, but in the movie, it's this, it's this colony or the uh, mining colony that's run by the Tavon group, which yeah. is also the same last name the collector has uh so it's run by a different organization it has a whole different feel to it so like th- i think it would stand out in a weird way if cosmo was like the chief of security of this like um weird black market he could be colony. for the next one.
0: They may go back to nowhere to talk to the collector because they've got to somehow characterize the collector more than just being an exposition dump like it was in this one. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, Cosmo could turn up, almost certainly should turn up in the second one and go, yes, you are back. Let me make you my guests." <laughs> <laughs> could
7: I, could have just been a dog just talk?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have been, been straight up budget up. in
5: this one. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, they, they, have, with everything they spent on, on Rocket and, uh, Groot and the surprise at the end, um, <laughs> you know, ma- making the dog talk. I mean, it wouldn't seem like little in, in comparison, but it, that might have been it. That, okay, we'll put him in. It, who, who knows? Maybe there was a whole thing where they meant to make him talk because they, they might have wanted to do that, um, the babe thing where yeah. they use the real animal and just move the mouth and, Time or money ran out. You know, we well, go.
0: I would want, if he was in it at all, for him to actually be a character that affects things in a way that the, I suppose, the collector did, um, sort of the, uh, just someone who moves the plot forwards and actually does aid them rather than just being there for a gag, which is what that guy in uh, the, the pug dog in Men in Black does. Just he's just there for a gag, and isn't that hilarious? Um, I love the first men in back. is great. But they overuse that goddamn dog in two and three. Hmm.
6: There could fall. be another reason, actually, because in and this is a little bit of a reach. But in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they remark over and over again that there's no such thing as psychic powers and that there's it's never been cataloged. And so far in the MCU, it has never been, at least to the best of my knowledge, it's never come up. Like true psychic powers, so maybe they just it's didn't the want to age introduce that. This age of miracles that. now. Yeah, it's true, but maybe they didn't want to introduce that with a yeah. random dog cameo in.
5: And that's the get first time you get them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So this movie actually wasn't as disconnected as as it would appear, um, other than just the collector. But the, um, are, do you guys have you all seen Agents of Shield? Are you all through it? No. Nope. I- I have I've I have I have i have i well, uh, not talk about it. Okay, no I, I that I'm not I'm not going to but let's just say that for the Peter's agents of there's the Shield connection. episode which we will be doing. Yeah, there's a there's a connection to agents of Shield. So there's oh, okay. a connection to an ongoing.
0: Of oh, course. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, least, I think somewhere back there I mentioned Yondu. By yeah. <laughs> um it, I'm assuming he's different from how he is in the comics as well. Oh, <laughs> very, <Yeah>. very, <laughs> very.
7: Very 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 right
6: in in the comics like you said before he's this like noble savage from like the 31st century like i think the only thing so they kind really of exactly kept,
0: the same as Drax uh
6: well i mean he's from this planet that gets all wiped out a eh, very similar so action kind of same but, as Drax then he's the last one so
0: so kind um, of the same as group then so kind of the, the same only as... thing, Yeah, Good so morning. like everybody else Good
6: but the only thing that they kept is the arrow because yeah. in the comics he can whistle and as long as the arrow is made from a specific metal from his home planet known as Yaka he Harkles. can Redirect it, and that's like the only thing they kept. I know uh-huh. a lot of people who were mad that uh, the way they portrayed Yandu Udanta in this movie. Yeah,
7: but he hasn't been in the comics for years now. I mean, eventually they're going to have to update him.
0: Well, yeah, I mean the, that he was in there at I don't know. He, he was a he was a good enough character for you to understand more about Peter by showing that he was his father figure, effectively. Yeah,
3: I
1: yeah. I like how he has this in his own mind he's this noble person who took this child and took him under his wing, completely forgetting the fact that he picked him up to for his crew to eat him. Yeah.
6: No. No no he no. He that was repeatedly, using he was hired to steal Peter from Earth by his father. Uh, yeah. Was, yes. Yes.
1: yeah,
0: that's what they say after you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway.
6: That guy was an asshole. A <laughs> jackass, that's it. And I, <laughs> right.
1: I do like his little set piece where he's standing in the field against yeah. uh, Ronin's army, and you get to actually... You can see why everybody's scared of him and his little arrow thing. Because it, it doesn't seem as menacing. Because um, everyone's the got laser guns, yeah. yeah. You know, but when you actually see w- what it can do, it, it, yeah. it does. Yeah. Can I sidebar a little
7: bit and talk about how... Like the character design here, because Mm -hmm. one thing about the implants that they have in this movie is they do not look glorified at all. They look incredibly Uh. painful. Mm -hmm. He has a gigantic piece of metal sticking from the top of his head. And talking about Nebula, she, in her scene, whenever she's completely and utterly dismantled, Uh. snaps back together so painfully, like her body just... Shifts and Gamora, when they scan over her body, shows that one of her legs, like from the knee to the shin, is actually missing the bone within it, and those little ridges on her face are actually implanted plates.
4: And you've got the um, uh, the cuts, and um, I'm assuming that they're attachment points of some kind in uh, Rocket's back as well, that you only see very briefly at one point, but the implication is that it's. It, if it's not painful for him now, it has been at some point in the past.
7: Yeah. And there's not hair around it either, which means that he's probably been scratching at that. Mm. It can't be comfortable for him. Well, def- scar
6: tissue.
1: They definitely see throughout this film that if, if a being doesn't deem you as a sentient on their level, you're pretty much free game. Yeah. Which Thanos doesn't to anyone. Everyone well, to him is just completely
7: and utterly under. He's in love with death. Literally. literally. Quite literally.
6: Yeah. I was going to say, also speaking about the um, the visuals and the character design, the, I feel like a lot of James Gunn, because he's done a lot of B-horror movies, and I feel like a lot of the you know people in practical makeup and appliances, that's really well done in this movie, and it kind of is a throwback to that, where they could have just CGI'd most of the extras in whatever way they wanted, but the fact that they actually took the time and made like all the actual appliances, the makeup, the everything, mm. it just, I don't know, it felt more real in a yeah. way for me.
0: It might have been mm. Hellboy, specifically Hellboy 2, if you remember the uh, the troll market. Mm. There's a lot of just sumptuous detail in there.
6: Space I it's, is
7: full of latex.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really refreshing change from just CGing absolutely everything.
6: One more thing about Yondu before we go away though. Mm -hmm. The symbol for the Ravagers, Mm -hmm. the little like fireball thing, that is the Guardians of the Galaxy symbol from the comics. Uh, Rocket and uh, Star-Lord, their uniforms actually have that.
0: Yeah. Mm. Oh. Doesn't cool have it on his uh, shoulder because he's wearing a Ravager jacket? Yeah. Well,
6: yeah, they all have it in the end because yeah. they all take Ravager outfits yeah. for the final battle. Oh, except for Groot, of course. But oh, well, although yeah. the yeah. Drax
7: doesn't put a shirt on either, he just he finds the <laughs> pants and
1: then throws the shirt away. <laughs> I think that's going to come up at some point. Just
0: why? Why don't you just wear a shirt for once? Cold. The awesome mix. I don't think I've really talked about this. Uh, we just talked about it in relation to how it characterises Peter, but since it threads through the entire movie, it keeps you in touch with Peter himself. But it also gives the whole thing a really great, easy kind of fun, kind of contemporary, but at the same time timeless feel to it. Because it's older music, it it's not going to date. If I mean, if, if basically. You, can, you can put contemporary music and, and uh, like, older music done in cover versions by uh, modern bands and artists, and what you end up with is Shrek 2.
6: <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's going to date like crazy. However, this is really going to feel fresh in a few years' time.
6: So, speaking of the music, again, uh, I saw a really interesting like fan theory because if you look at the awesome mix one soundtrack Mm -hmm. it has what's supposed to be the actual order of Mm -hmm. the songs and given the time period making a mixtape was actually kind of a labor of love yeah so someone looked at this and said you know maybe this has some kind of meaning and the first songs hooked on a feeling and the second ones go all the way Mm -hmm. and they're they're thinking that this is kind of Peter's mother, kind of talking about her relationship with his father. Yeah. So, hooked on a feeling, go all the way. Spirit in the sky and moonage dream when she finds out that he's an alien.
0: Moonage Fo- daydream.
6: Moonage daydream. Sorry. Um, fold around and fell in love. It, whenever they, you know, really became fully romantic. The I'm not in love and I want you back being kind of different sides of the same coin. How he knows he's going to leave, but she doesn't want him to. Mm-hmm. And then come, come and, and, get and get your, your love, love.
0: Come and get your love. Come and get for, your love. Now. I've been it, listening to this back to back for weeks now.
7: So, uh, I'm getting the vinyl when it comes out.
6: <laughs> oh, man. But the come and get your love for like that almost the final hurrah. And then Cherry Bomb being so tonally different from the rest of them just uh, being him actually leaving, followed by Escape, his escape from the planet, and then Ooh Child being the last one on the actual Awesome Mix Volume 1. because because Escape mountain.
0: thematically is not him escaping from the planet. He's offering, or she, the, the, the woman in the song that, that uh, Rupert Holmes is singing about, is offering an escape to a person. So for a while, it's possible she felt like she was going to be able to get away from Earth as well. Yeah, And that eventually passes down to her little Star-Lord. Carry on.
6: And then, ooh, child, Things being the very last one, easier. is Peter himself, uh, yeah. like, having been born. Because then the very last one on the soundtrack you can purchase is Ain't No Mountain High oh, Enough, but no. that's actually the first one on Awesome Mix 2.
1: Gotcha. thank God for people smarter than me, because I would never pick up stuff like that. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, I've just completely rearranged my soundtrack as it was previously, now to exactly how it flows in the movie. Um, so I didn't. It's now not in that order. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to have two versions. A play, I need a playlist of it so I can listen to it in that order again. It's it's charming in uh, in, a, in a very kind of not too showy way. They could have they could have stuck on songs that absolutely fit thematically with what was going on. Uh, the the way that uh, uh, Tarantino works is he he, uh, starts listening to songs and then he thinks, what scene would go well with this song? Uh, Just from his record collection. In this, sometimes what's going on is thematically completely opposed to actually what you're seeing. (laughs) (laughs) They're hooked on the feeling, (laughs) but Peter's getting electrocuted and then they're mooching around in a prison. And I thought, you could just play some really somber prison music here and it would completely change the tone of this movie. That's that was one of the bits that made me think: Did they did they go back and do this in post, or? But but no, it just it seems honestly like that uh, all of these things were intentional and, and very much altered
6: and it couldn't have done it in post Uh, Peter actually calls out he says no hooked on a feeling blue suede and he throws out the year that's my song
0: they could do that in uh, uh, go back not so much in post but in reshoots just to sort of tie it in with like if he has an eye like maybe the last thing they thought of was doing the awesome mix and then it's like well we can now jazz up these scenes with this I mean stranger things have happened with movies but now that I've gone back and actually read about the production which obviously I couldn't do without getting spoilers it really does seem like James Gunn took the script that was a straightforward space adventure, in the same way that Joss Whedon took a script that was a Zack Penn fucking Avengers meeting and then fighting aliens story, and made it his own. And what we got was so much richer for that. And this guy's going to go places from 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 this this success. And uh, I'm really I'm chuffed that he's got this level of exposure now.
6: I really loved how they used it as diegetic and non diegetic sound throughout the movie. Yeah. Where, you know, it's everyone can hear it. And they, they used it primarily when uh, the Guardians were kind of on the upper foot in, in a manner of speaking. Because yeah. it's, you know, you'll only hear the songs from the Awesome Mix with the exception of. Poked on a feeling, which is when Peter freaks out yeah. and, and goes after that guy. I just thought it was a really good way of um, showing like how Peter feels about that movie. Isn't
0: uh, Cherry Bomb playing through the sound system of the ship when they uh, when they're sort of gearing up? That that that's. I was so proud, at the same time, trying to re- restrain Lyra because she was dancing in her seat to that. she's <laughs> Almost certainly the only child in the audience there who really loves Cherry Bomb, uh, principally because I've been playing the soundtrack over and over again. But um, <laughs> she, she's getting into a real rocky phase right now, thanks to School of Rock and Rock Band, and um, she can do the, the hair metal thing much better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she was totally on board for it. And then when Group died, she she flipped out, and then it, what really broke her was just seeing Rocket's little paw reach up to grab hold of uh, Drax's finger when they were sort of all holding hands and that. That, she thought they were all going to die at that point. And so, it's, it's, it's the serenity thing. Like, you know, they sold the idea that this could actually happen. And um, I don't think many people in the audience really thought that it would, but clearly Lyra did. And uh, the, I, I had to whisper to her, I think it's going to be okay at that point but uh, it's it's marvelously accessible as a film and uh, its uh, have you guys watched the um, Star Wars trilogy done in the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer style
9: no we'll watch that
0: when we finish out this show we'll all watch that together because Well, for a start, the original Star Wars trilogy, it works alarmingly well with Spirit in the Sky and then Hooked on a Feeling. Then the prequels, my brain was doing holo-hoops. It was going, wow, this looks so awesome. No, it's horrible. It's awful. Listen to these awful lines being just dribbled (laughs) out. And, And ultimately, this is doing Star Wars better than... Than, well, certainly better than the prequels, but better than pretty much anyone has attempted to mm. since. I mean, even, you know, Star Trek was trying to do Star Wars. This is doing it even better. So, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I've not been as happy that Disney were doing Star Wars, um, uh, as I am right now.
9: There will be
8: a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. You are free to use any methods necessary, but I want them alive.
1: No disintegration. It's not fair.
2: Got something jammed in here real good. Were you on a Star Cruiser? What
9: is that?
3: But these are my friends. That way. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain.
2: <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. Oh.
0: Okay, there's a few more characters to do and I think we are out of here. Nebula. Felt sorry for her. Definitely want to see her again. Um, uh, She's clearly had a terrible life. And uh, Karen Gillan from Doctor Who. Never really watched that. Doctor's Doctor Who. Now a little bit more engaged. Anybody?
1: Yeah, they portrayed her fantastically. Literally you can tell that her and like they've seen the same sights. They've had a similar situation and the level of comrade you sort of get from the fact that it says, out of all all of our um, brothers and sisters, I hated you the least,
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and their their whole fight was like I was on the edge of my seat, like who's gonna win?
0: And I, I honestly thought they could maybe lose one of the guardians. Mm. Um,
1: yeah, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, in a permanent way. And, uh, I have heard people complain about the group death being very similar to a lot of other Marvel deaths in that they either, uh, reverse it immediately or after a while. But I think this is, this comes back to what we said during the Iron Giant. This comes back to, uh, uh to many situations where the, the death is not just about, um, the, the actual act itself or the sacrifice itself as uh, the, uh, what it means to everybody else, how that affects them, what they do afterwards. And uh and and what it how it affects the person who's actually giving if they don't have to spend the rest of their life dead.
5: I'm not, I don't know. Maybe maybe because uh I'm too much into the, the comic scene, but um Groot's death never felt like a threat to me. Not not because comic deaths, but because he's a, a plant. tree. Yeah, yeah, he's a plant like I, never... I did
1: have a similar feeling. Yeah,
5: yeah.
7: Yeah, and it's, it's bawling. I'm sorry, I I didn't know. I I mean, I know that he's a tree and he's a symbol of life, but at the same time, whenever that happened, it's like just tears pouring down my face.
5: Yeah. I felt really bad for Rocket. They they played up Rocket's emotional (sighs) response to it really well, but I still, I was stuck on, you know, fiction and D&D and comics. It's a tree. If you've got a piece that's got enough meat in it, you're fine.
7: I feel like that that's the one time that we see Rocket truly just being honest with the way that he feels, though, at that yeah. point, when he just breaks down. Like, that's what he's been wanting to do this entire time, ever since that he escaped. It's like, and now he's just losing his best friend and the one person that did level him out. It's just all coming out at that point.
1: Yeah, It's just like I said, it's not the fact that the character died or went, they're dead. It's the a way it affects everybody around them. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Yeah
0: this this next bit's kind of sad and will most likely leave my audience reflective to Jaman who played Korath the uh, who are you Star-Lord the guy at the beginning who also we is the second time we've seen him in the cinema this week because we also saw uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2 uh, where he plays a villain in that he's playing a villain in this mm. Um, He's a Kree ally to Ronan who is a feared intergalactic bounty hunter. As to why he took the role, Hansu said, I have a four-year-old son who loves superheroes from Spider-Man to Iron Man to Batman. Oh, yeah. He's got all the costumes. And one day he looks at me and says, Dad, I want to be light-skinned so I could be Spider-Man. Oh. Spider-Man has light skin." That was sort of a shock. That's why I'm excited to be part of the Marvel Universe so I could hopefully provide that diversity in the role of the superhero. Right. Now, obviously, if you've seen the film, you know that Korath is not a superhero. He's not someone that you want to be and not someone that kids will will like. And so Dijerman has kind of done this for nothing. But on the other side, his son gets to see him kick ass on screen. But then again, he's been able to kick ass on screen many, many times, just not necessarily in Marvel movies. On the upside, oh, I uh, went through and checked out some of the best Marvel and DC superheroes who are black uh, include Blade, Storm in the X-Men, War Machine in Iron Man 2 and 3, Falcon and Nick Fury in Captain America the Winter Soldier. They almost got two black guys on the well, on the poster. Uh, Johnny Storm in the new Fantastic Four, Luke Cage in the Defenders TV show, and this is one that's obviously going to affect the German Hans who's son the most if he can get to read... Um, miles morales ultimate spider-man number two in case you missed this in the spider-man shows miles morales is a black hispanic teenage boy who takes on the mantle of ultimate spider-man after peter parker gets taken out of the picture he's a character i want to see embraced by the public and frankly once Sony have had their fun with that franchise i'd like to see miles not peter on our screens for the foreseeable future in the marvel cinematic universe there are many reasons why, and Young Hounsou's situation is a big one.
7: Are we ever going to see a Black Panther movie?
0: <sighs> yeah. That was the next one on my list. Very vast potential for a Black Panther movie. I really <laughs> want to see that. Frankly, the German Hounsou would be a great Black Panther. What
1: I'm, oh, yeah. what I'm hoping for is in the um, Justice League, like Batman vs Superman, I want John Stewart as yeah. Green Lantern. That is my Green Lantern. Like, I do know Green Lantern. was a great Black. Green
7: Lantern. Yeah.
1: I, I literally, I was surprised when I found out that Hal Jordan was the original Green Lantern because I grew up with
0: Justice League Unlimited. He's
4: Just League he was the Green Green only Green Lantern Alan I knew as well. Alan was the
0: original Green Lantern. But yeah, both um white-ass J. Crew models.
1: So yeah, when I found out that um Green Lantern was normally a white guy, I was actually quite surprised.
0: Yeah. That was a conscious decision when they were making the Justice League. They were like, right, we can't just have a bunch of white guys. Uh, Also, Cyborg.
6: So speaking of Black Panther real quick, didn't they kind of have an Easter egg in, was it Iron Man 2? When he's sitting there talking to Nick Fury and there's a wall with all the points of interest and one of them's Thor and one of them's uh, like another character, one of them's Hulk. But there's one point that is in the part of Africa that Black Panther's tribe that made the vibranium for yeah. Captain America's shield comes from. So it was kind of like a little easter egg that they could bring back.
5: Yeah, I don't think they labeled it as Wakanda, but I think you're right.
7: In recent uh, events within the comics, Falcon has actually taken up the mantle of Captain America. Yeah, so yeah. while right, we have yeah. Bucky in League to play Captain after uh, Evans gets out, maybe, just maybe, maybe, we'll have ourselves a Black Captain America. Because, let's face it, the Falcon has been there for a long time with Cap, and he deserves it.
0: Much as I love um, uh, the the Winter Soldier and, um, what's his name? Sebastian Stan. uh, And (coughs) him taking up the mantle of of Cap would actually be a a nice uh, symbolic idea. I also really liked Falcon.
5: Oh yeah. No, if Marvel is smart, that's exactly what they're going to do. In fact, there's even a bonus to doing that outside of uh, you know the the better race representation is uh, you you keep the Winter Soldier, the Winter Soldier, and you've got a whole new franchise yeah. as opposed to uh, going that road. I don't I don't know that Falcon, I, maybe Falcon can carry a franchise. I honestly don't know enough about the character, but making Falcon Captain America is a great way yeah. to continue that. And then you've got Winter Soldier to go and do Winter Soldier movies. Anthony Mackie,
0: who played him, uh, was uh, was Falcon. He'd have to go through some sort of physical. Well, he had to be made super, wouldn't he? He's just a regular guy at the moment with a special backpack. Give him <laughs> special blood.
5: He's not <laughs> he's not super in the comics, is he? I thought it was I thought it was equipment in the comics too. Yeah. Oh, well, no, they must
0: make him super if he's going to be Cap. Otherwise, the first thing that normally Cap would be able to deal with that he gets thrown into, he go "Whoa, my usual my athletic but just regular human body cannot take this."
4: Oh, his arm just relatively... broke from holding the
0: shield. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cap's
4: not bouncing relatively... off of him like it should. He's <laughs> relatively <laughs> unsuper compared to the people around him, though. That's that's part of the point of how his character's developed is that he gets very quickly out of his depth once you throw him in with the Avengers.
5: Yeah. Does nobody know how they're doing it right now? I I don't. I just know that he is Captain right now. How are they How are they dealing with it? Falcon, yes.
0: Captain America has retains his wings, so basically flying captain America huh. also played by Anthony mackey, who has a, a a surfeit of personality and is a, a a really watchable actor so uh yeah if uh if chris Evans when chris Evans steps down, if mackey's on board for that i don't know also i mean Sebastian stands totally on on board as well, so frankly they could share it, yeah someone's going to have to take it. Maybe even make, make that their purpose of a film. Like, you know, if, if uh, Steve's gone gun, gun down, who's gonna take the cap cowl? I think that's gonna be the conflict. point of, There's never been possible. a movie like that.
1: Well, if they're looking to break convention, I mean, everybody's already thinking Bucky, Winter Soldier moves to Captain America, whereas they've already managed to twist things around in uh, Winter Soldier, so maybe they'll twist things around for yeah. Captain
0: America 3. I will, I will research it while you guys talk about the collector, Benicio del Toro. Do your best. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, uh, I thought was really interesting is his assistant, uh, I don't remember yeah. her name. I Karina. think, she, I think that's played by his daughter. I think that's actually del Toro's daughter that plays oh. her, which I thought was pretty interesting.
5: That's, that gets kind of creepy because my understanding is the character that she played, he marries in the comics.
6: Oh. Oh. Uh. Ugh. All I know about him from the comics is that he's some kind of member of like a loose group of immortals that if they get too bored they die so they become obsessed with something.
4: <laughs> yeah. So... yeah, that's literally
1: his concept.
4: <laughs> Isn't yeah. that just vampires? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that wasn't Karina Michael Kovac's wife?
6: Maybe. There was somebody And is Michael
0: Kovac the same character as Kovac? Lauren?
6: Hold on, I'm looking <laughs>
1: <laughs> Comic continuity D- Del
0: Toro, after that ridiculous um, per- um, Little performance At the end of Thor the Dark World I was like, right, this is going to be good And he turns up, waggles his hands, lowers his eyes Gives a bit of exposition, and then there's an Explosion and I was like, That was it? That was it? Yeah, it was a- quite disappointing
1: It was just pure exposition
0: yeah. I'm a warrior And an assassin
3: I do not dance
2: really well on my planet there's a legend about people like you it's called footloose and in it a great hero named kevin bacon He teaches an entire city full of people with sticks up their butts that dancing well it's the greatest thing there is
4: Who put the sticks up their butts?
5: What? No, that's just a... That
4: is cruel. ...just a
5: phrase. Well, I haven't quite figured out how they're trying to place the character yet. Is he working for Thanos, or is he just bored and doesn't care?
1: Well, the the whole concept is the collector is, he's got this twisted sense of nobility, where if he's got things, they're safe with him. So he's literally looking to collect the Infinity Stones to protect them, but also for his own desire to own them. Hmm. This uh, belongs
7: in a museum. <laughs> yeah. what are
1: you? That's literally the collector. Like he's all about owning unique things and keeping the most dangerous things away from the universe, while making sure that he's the one who owns it.
5: Uh see, I thought that was okay. That's why I was confused because the end of Thor two, he's he says that's that's two or whatever. I can't remember exactly, but he, he, it sounds like he's collecting them for a higher purpose. And then in this one, he seems. There seems to be no connection between him and Thanos. So, that, mm.
7: be... oh, um, just Maybe to he's privy to Thanos' plan, and that's yeah. why he's trying to mm. grab a hold of
6: them. So I, fa- I found it out. Uh, I, I had my wires crossed a little bit. Karina is actually the collector's daughter. The actress is not Del Toro's daughter. I knew okay. there was something with it. Okay. but
0: uh, So he didn't marry his daughter.
5: That's good to <laughs> know. Yeah, yes. I, I read that wrong. He married somebody else in the comics in the movie. I can't
0: the the Nova Corps also turn up in uh, in this, and I, I explained this to uh, Lyra as but them basically being the Green Lantern Corps. Um, we didn't really get to find out much about them. I suspect Nova will turn up in um, the next one. Nova folks would be the Green Lantern of our Earth, I suppose. So like he's our Nova Corps guy, right? R- Richard Reed. Richard Reed. Mm-hmm. The shoe bomber. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh.
6: I hope not. Uh, actually, John C. Riley plays Roman Day, who is the guy who gives Richard Reed the Nova Force powers in the comics. So Richard Ryder. Is it Richard Ryder? Yeah, Why Richard Reed? Reed
0: was the shoe bomber. Where did like, I get that from? I'm thinking of Reed Richard. Richards. Richards.
1: Maybe. I will say in the um. <laughs>
3: in the. <laughs>
1: In the run of Nova that I've been reading, they've actually made it uh, that the next uh, Nova from Earth is actually the son of a previous Nova Corps officer. Mm -hmm. And um, in the comic, Gamora and Rocket come down to teach him and to tell him about his powers. So they might incorporate that
0: instead. You say powers. They weren't really shown as having powers in this. They just flew spaceships. And I mean, wait, I mean
1: like, their suit and
0: everything. Yeah, no, I know, but the, they, they didn't show that off at all. You'd almost imagine that if all of the Nova Corps were going up against that ship, then there would have been something a lot more like, I don't know, the Green Lantern Corps going up against a giant ship.
5: You kind of got a hint of it with the yellow energy used hmm. to strain them and the yellow energy used on the, um, on the ship, although they left it tied to the technology, not to yeah. people.
0: That their costumes also look really awkward and blocky, and almost like uh, 80s sci sci-fi jack-booted Nazi-type folks. Uh, but, and I would hope that our Nova ends up with a far more slender, um, awesome-looking costume. I suppose for, a I be- for want know. of a better word,
4: they looked a little bit like comedy judges,
0: <laughs> like Judge Dredd. <laughs> Judge yeah. Dredd.
3: Oh
4: yeah,
0: well, yeah. they you, well, there you go. That's where I got the <laughs> fascist eighties thing from. Then. And the law.
4: But that. Um, and awesome. the law. <laughs> that whole thing with the um, the Nova Corps officers forming the net to restrain the ship. Uh. Uh, but see, that was the point that I really started engaging with it, because then this whole idea of unity being the thing that will save the galaxy, that if enough people stand up together and link arms, they can't get through you.
0: This is something that we keep recurring, uh, going back to in the... In, uh, the, the Films that we cover, seemingly more recently in the past few years, it's less about the the special and more about the everybody. Same as in the Lego movie, Marvel movies, friendship is magic. Yeah, yeah. yes, absolutely, I mean, and also uh, uh, Pacific Rim. We yes. have a
7: cast of characters that are completely and utterly broken in their own ways. They have huge character flaws and weaknesses, yet together. Each one compensates for that, and that's why they can end up becoming this sort of surrogate family, if you will.
0: Oh, for folks who are completely unaware of who Nova is in the comic, he flies around and has a helmet and can like do like beams of stuff.
1: <laughs> Perhaps the- they'll make it so it's a Nova Elite sort of division, so they get the special stuff.
5: You can't the shape it like Green Legend. No, sorry. He can't shape it like a Green Lantern, can he? It's, it's just energy blast, isn't it?
0: Apparently, Nova's powers in the comics include flight, superhuman strength, speed, and durability, expert hand-to-hand combatant, currently in possession via download of the Zandarian World Mind, which allows him near-infinite control over the Nova Force, granting energy projection and absorption, and here's an interesting one, ability to exert influence over gravitational forces and open wormholes. I do like the fact that those three sons that uh, existed on their on their planet are in the exact same. That's that's where they get their symbol. I'd never uh, known that that was the case before. Thanos. you oh, can talk about Thanos. <laughs> yeah. I like the-
1: this nice little portrayal in this. Yes. The fact they he just sees Ronan as this temper tantrum child in the grand scheme of things.
0: It's important actually that we talk about thanos's relationship with the scrolls or the tuturias they have to be called because fox have the license to the word scrolls and the license to the shape-shifting god Uh. bullshit to put things in perspective as far as i can tell the kree empire is huge imagine if america owned the world and the scrolls were china and earth was new zealand so basically, there's a, like a small race of people who, uh, you know, fight against them, but do it so, so savagely that they're able to actually retain their independence. And then there's this tiny little island, which for some reason is, you know, it would be useful strategically, uh, but for some reason has never been conquered.
1: Earth is just a resource in somebody else's
0: war. Okay. Well, for some reason, Earth seems to be out of bounds as well. No one's allowed to really go there. But then they mentioned we watched loads of Marvel movies the other day, and the Avengers, they they mentioned that using the Tesseract on Earth was confirmation to the rest of the galaxy that that we are ready for a, a new level of war. Mm. Also,
7: the but Asgardians so... are watching over Earth. It, it is Midgard in their world tree, so
0: well, their world tree is, is nine worlds, but it's yep. clearly loads more than that.
5: So it's almost right. like um... it's a section of this larger, yeah, it's a interstellar... Of the, the
0: larger interstellar thing. So... Yeah, that,
5: it's just what's connected by the by the Rainbow Bridge. That's, Not... that's all. That's all the nine realms are.
0: Yeah, none of the films have yet attempted to show the vast scale of this one. Ga- Guardians was the one that could have done that. But I suppose doing that would have made their little, um, like, it would have made it seem like just a small part of a large thing and that there was a huge amount unfinished and that would have kind of reminded people that they were only watching part of a whole as opposed to make, allowing it to stand on its own.
1: Yeah, it was, it's nice to get away from Earth for once. Mm.
0: Also, no one would have to have that explained to them. They all live in Cree owned space. It'd be like saying, you know, the country uh, you live in is owned by Britain. No one needs that exposition if they already know it, as you know.
4: I could have done with something that um, that fed into the bigger Marvel universe, though, because it, it did feel a little bit isolated. Mm. And while I appreciate that S.H.I.E.L.D. at the moment is out of the picture, maybe this would have been a good opportunity to introduce S.W.O.R.D.
5: Did not go anywhere That's near cool. Earth? Yeah. Yeah, that that wouldn't have, no, there there is, there is a connection. We can't, we can't tell you, but there is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Sharon. I'm not saying anything. What what it comes down to is I thought that it would be a straight case of that in Guardians of the Galaxy, which we've been told leads to uh, back when they were putting it together, leads directly into Avengers 3, that there would be some I suppose they do kind of feed into the idea that Thanos is collecting the stones and he's going to make himself a gauntlet, that he's going to try and control the fabric of reality. What excites me about that is not the giant destructive capability that he would then have because it'll just make things explode. It's the subtle abilities that that might entail because he could tweak the fabric of reality. That that could have huge profound effects.
1: Well, you, you already get a sense from the film that even without the Infinity Gauntlet or the gems like... Thanos can destroy worlds if he wants to. Yeah, like that's the whole reason Ron and Ghost him because he's going around doing this anyway. So it's it's the implication that there's an even greater threat that isn't just pure dis- just simple destruction.
0: Yeah. So it was it was great to see him. I I can't say I was underwhelmed. I but kind they- of wanted more of him, or maybe even less of him, if that makes <laughs> any sense. It was almost like, and here's Thanos
5: oh okay I was going to say it might have been better if they'd left him to the monitors
0: yeah or maybe just at the very end have him turn around and say I will scatter your blood across the stars to someone else I don't know it was just but then again I suppose that's just the end of Avengers as well I don't know it, I'm not complaining it was great seeing him and Josh Brolin does a really powerful voice which is exactly what was needed
1: And I love the fact that it's such a small, insignificant little thing, but I love the fact that he sits back and smiles and just Mm. turns around (laughs) and says, oh, that was just a nice little encounter, because that's just Thanos. He has
0: no concept of fear or anything. Although he... he, he He is a bit the emperor. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen it.
7: Oh, when Ronan kills his uh, little scroll helper. That was the guy who was so
0: threatening in the Avengers. It's just like, no, I smack you in the face and turn his head around backwards. (laughs) The vizier.
7: But you see that Thanos is... He is angry, but it's not because that he killed one of his lackeys. It's because he killed one of his tools.
1: Yeah, And... I'm going to have to get a new one now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's, the, that's the exact same thought they had with Gamora. It's Like, oh, you've you've messed up one of my other toys. Now I'm going to have to try and get a new one that is just as good as her.
0: There's only one call, henchman agent.
9: <coughs> Hello, henchman agent. Mr. Thanos, it's been a while since we last spoke. No, same as I said last time, I've had a bit of trouble tracking down any more armies of Chuturi warriors for you. Ever since New York, they've gone a bit... extinct. Very extinct. I could only find one, and the collector wouldn't sell him. You only need one, then? Oh, that sounds nasty. Would you consider a duck... Of course it talks. It's getting the mousy bugger to shut up that's the problem. I've got a chap with a red skull who's definitely up for a bit of work. Very keen, very motivated, even more German than the German guy I sent you. The duck it is. Right you, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs>
0: two things at the end, then. Um, the Howard the Duck cameo, uh, ballsy. I suppose their, their, their target audience um, a, a guide, uh, most people would go, who's that? What's that? And the, um, the, the people who were savvy, and there was a large amount who stayed behind this time, as opposed to, say, Thor the Dark World, where only, like, two people stayed behind. Um, went, uh, what's that?
7: Oh, in my theater, it was like that. I kept hearing who
5: what and i just showed
7: oh come on it's how the, the, the duck,
5: duck. <laughs> <laughs> you think the movie was was infamous enough you would think yeah. that that enough people would know oh that was a terrible movie what's he doing there even if they don't know it's marvel it almost should have been like a revelation oh that thing was marvel
1: <laughs> no like I've, I've got to say like how the duck is obscure like i'm i barely know what it is personally <laughs>
0: He's like, the only fan that, like... He's the only from is people... people to the baloney-verse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's only from, like, like, people doing series on the internet about obscure stuff that I know about Howard the Duck. Yeah. Like, yeah. most people in my cinema is like, what? What? <laughs>
4: But so I mean, he's so obscure that he never gets mentioned unless you're specifically talking about obscure characters. Yeah,
5: yeah, basically. Yeah, I, I think it was just a victory dance. I I, I think it was just mm. a way for them to say, you know, look, uh, I I th- th- here's the thing. Like, I don't think this is the intention at all. But what this proved to me is that I would now line up for a Howard the Duck movie. Oh.
4: You oh, can't Fantastic more, but you won't have
5: Howard the Duck. If it's directed <laughs> by James Gunn and written by him, of course. Hell well, exactly. Well. Exactly. See that's what I'm talking about. Like the the point is, for me anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy was really obscure and and I'm a big Marvel movie fanboy. But even I, when I heard what they were doing, I was like, Okay, I mean I'm excited and I'm gonna go see this, but I'm sure this is gonna be where, okay, well, nice try, Marvel, and good luck next time. After watching it and then watching the howard the duck cameo I'm like you know what they say they're doing a howard the duck movie i'm now genuinely excited i'm not you know passively or or uh, restraining anything yep i will go and see uh, howard the duck in continuity marvel movie yes please
1: my advice would be to watch um movie bob's uh, big picture on what was on at the end of the garden of the galaxy because he goes into explanation of like howard duck's actual history and sort of yes. why he's there as a cameo if you look
0: at yeah, that's in, a good one if you look in the chat window there is a crossover potential here for Howard with
5: she nice She-hawk.
0: <laughs> I suppose we finish on the awesome mixed volume trick too which is a really nice way of making if ending on an emotional note I think pretty much everyone had worked out what was probably in this tape sized box but it was kind of wonderful having that confirmed and there was a wholeness to basically starting a new adventure and um it's, it's kind of the best way to suggest a sequel, really.
7: Also, how are, how relieved are you going to be if you're Peter and you've been travelling for 20 years yeah. with one tape and also <laughs> you have a new set of music that you haven't heard?
1: Yeah. <laughs> a fine point. Uh, this is a man who went out of his way to get a cassette player into his advanced deep <laughs> spaceship.
0: Yes. <laughs> they bought 16 of those uh, Sony Walkmans uh, from eBay over the course of a few months and only... Three of them worked <laughs> for production. That's a, it's a rare type of thing again. That must have been like, what? To a lot of kids, must have felt that that was some weird artifact. You ever seen like uh, kids react to, and that they occasionally... Yeah. They give, I think, Jerome, you mentioned this before, actually. They give them old, archaic technology, which is not yeah. used to anyone anymore, and see if, see if the they can get them to work boy. out how it works. All
5: right, is everybody here old enough that cassettes were a thing? Or oh, yeah. yeah. We sports? made oh, mixtapes. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, I made Sharon
0: yeah. mixtapes. I listened to
4: stories. That's tapes.
5: how cool
0: I was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still have a cassette.
1: They were there. good
4: mixtapes. They were good
0: mixtapes. I made them with love and care. And like I did, well, well, soundtrack... One of them had
4: Limp Biscuit on it.
0: Of course, that
5: was the best thing to listen to in 2000.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> my first soundtrack was the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, and I played it so much that it snapped. Ooh!
1: I primarily had storybook cassettes, oh, which I listened I well into my cass- teenage years.
5: Turn the page.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I used to get up and turn that tape around.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, I suppose future possibilities. What would you like to see most in uh, number two? If you could just list like one thing. Uh, Let's uh, start with Jerome.
1: Um, I'm gonna, you know, go back to my quota. Some reference to Planet Hulk. <laughs> um, just
0: want that thing to happen so bad.
1: <laughs> Silver Surfer. Ah,
0: oh, because Fox
1: <laughs> own the license. Mm. But the Silver I, Savage. I, <laughs> I I I am looking forward to them going more into the cosmic universe because that is such unfettered territory for Marvel. Are
0: they like, allowed it... to create brand new characters like the Platinum Boogie Boarder. sorry carry on (laughs) I'm
1: just looking forward to more cosmic stuff if they do go into it and it'll be I hope they try and pull away from Earth being the most important place in the universe yeah because
0: that does get boring after a while and I definitely want to see as much group effort stuff as possible as well. I, I love the fact that the, the, uh, the TV shows are now sort of going to be pulling towards a Defenders uh, team up. And that's the point of that. Because ultimately, superheroes, as we have now established, work really well when you play them one off against the other. Uh, uh, when they're well written, uh, that's when they really come to life. Because that's when ideologies have to clash. When I think of most superhero like teams, I think in a galactic sense at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, X-Men should go out into space, folks. The Shia Empire, there's a whole empire out there.
1: One of the re- reasons I never got on with uh, what they did in the X-Men movies with Gene's powers to me, mm. because I watched the cartoons, the Phoenix is a cosmic being yeah. who inhabited Gene Grey, and the X-Men went into space for a whole adventure.
7: And the Guardians tie into the whole Phoenix yeah. Force with Gene Grey as well.
1: Oh,
0: dude, maybe they'll have, like, when they, fla- they, they finally meet Gene again, that she'll be visited by a, a cosmic force and that's what put it inside her. Ew. Or
7: the Phoenix will just be <laughs> its own self whenever
0: yeah. they come in contact I with that. it. Maybe. Uh, I hope that they, they stop going, oh, aliens are weird because you know, I think I think Marvel have proved they're not, or that their weirdness does not preclude box office sales. Um, okay, uh Mike Hearn, what do you want to see in Guardians Two?
5: Um, I, I wanna see more, uh, links to Earth. Uh, I, I think, like, I guess we're getting a Doctor Strange mm-hmm. movie now, and I, I think this is an opportunity for the, yeah. to continue the Thor's speech about where I come from, science and magic are one and the same. I, I, I really like that they've established that, and if they, if they can stick to their guns on that, find <laughs> things. <Yeah. laughs> James Gunn. Uh, if they can, if they can do that by using things like Guardians of the Galaxy and show that things can be fantastic without being mystical, mm. I, I think that uh, that's what I'm excited for. Sharon,
4: I suppose the opposite of the the whole going out into the wider universe. I really want to see them interact with the Avengers.
0: Yeah,
4: um, I I want to see. Well, I got
0: a free one. That's the one Star- I was. Star <laughs>
4: Lord. Well, indeed, but I I, I I want to see Star Lord's not a hundred percent of a dick going up against Tony Stark's mostly 100% of a dick (laughs) when when he's not really trying and Steve's not at all a dick and just how that whole...
0: You want to see 180% of a dick fight?
4: No! (laughs) Stop twisting my words! Um, I just...
0: What about 12%? An argument could be made for for 15%. (laughs)
4: It's better than 11%. Um, I am no, I just I, I want to see how they interact with with established characters and and how that oh, yeah. informs on the the uh, the Marvel universe rather than the actual universe.
0: <laughs> Lauren, uh,
6: well, I really want to see just more of the Guardians, especially Rocket, but I'd also really like to see the other three Infinity Gems—the Mind, Time, and Soul—that mm-hmm. would be particularly interesting. What's the more than any... supposed to be, by the way. Um, well, I know the Tesseract is space, the mm. Aether is reality, and the Sphere the, from Guardians is power. So gotcha. mind, time, and soul are the only ones left, and right. who knows what they're going to look like. Okay. Um, but more than anything else, I want to see that troll doll on Yondu's ship. Nah, of course, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't tie that together. Of course, he likes trinkets, and he has them on his dashboard.
6: Yeah. and, and that, generally confused with that? Yeah, when he looks at that, it wasn't like anger. He just looked proud, like a proud father. Mm. And if that troll doll is not on the console of his ship whenever we see him again, they have missed a note. I think we should call it your grave. (laughs) (laughs) Rose.
7: I would like to see a lot more of the intergalactic nature of the Marvel Universe and tying it back into some of our better-known heroes. Um, Tony definitely going into space would be a really interesting way to take the character because after all the events that have happened in his history he mm-hmm. just decides to you know, throw it all away and go out to his next free enterprise which is space itself um, more rocket definitely more rocket and Groot
0: I'd like to see a little more exploration I of give their you characters a 180% guarantee of more rocket and Groot <laughs> <laughs> those guys sold this movie definitely
7: just a little side here what percentage of a plan did we have at the end of the movie by that point? I mean, I was thinking that by the time that we got there.
1: Well, um, seeing as it ended with primarily a dance battle, I'd say
0: about 10%. <laughs> <laughs> so he lost
4: 2%. <laughs>
0: Does improvisation increase or decrease the plan? Well,
1: it, it decreases because he tried to...
0: He, have you ever seen a... Dance
1: battle happen in real life?
3: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you don't I need
0: to. B- <laughs> I would like to see Captain Marvel. I know she's not ne- she or he is not uh, Marvel. I suppose is not necessarily linked with the Guardians and can stand quite well on her or his own. But um, they are in a unique position since they deal with the Kree to basically be right there when Marvel. Gets to Earth and somehow sort of sort of usher in the Captain Marvel movie. I want a Captain Marvel movie fairly. bad. Agents of Shield. <laughs> so, uh, I was kind but... of disappointed that uh, Ronan was killed here and destroyed because I really wanted to see Carol Danvers punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> After seeing it in Ultimate Heroes, it just felt really right that uh, she should be welcome to Earth. Now get the hell off my planet. <laughs> So you say I should see Agents of Shield then? You,
5: you yeah. really need to finish yeah. it if you haven't even started it. It's 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 good. Well, I've it's seen re-
0: a couple of episodes, but I've been waiting for it to come out on DVD, and it's about to at the end of the month, I think. So uh...
7: it gets much stronger it. whenever Captain America: The Winter Soldier was released. After that point, everything starts to be tied together. Isn't that like until the tail then- end?
0: Mm.
5: You no, know, it's half, twelve percent. You know, but the, first, the first bit, in my opinion, the first bit gets a really bad rap. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It okay. felt like it felt like Joss meets uh, X Files to me. Well, yeah,
0: as I said, we're I gonna totally get it. Agree. We're gonna um, uh, watch it, and we're gonna do a, a podcast on it. So you'll hear that before we get to the next, which is.
3: Spaceship, <laughs> <Avengers, laughs>
0: spaceship, Avengers two. <laughs> look
1: forward to see how i somehow bring up planet hulk and silver surfer in that
6: one. Oh, i already got a i already got a rumor about that if you wanted to hear about it later
5: yeah, yeah. sure It's not know the rumor you're talking about i do before
0: we go i'll mention one of the loveliest most physics defying scenes in the movie it's where peter leaps out into the void and gives gamora his space helmet knowing full well he'll die as a result We already know that deep down he's a good guy from his childhood frog rescue, but this allows him to illustrate to us, not so much that he's a hero, but that he's capable of caring more about others than himself, even just for brief bursts of conscience. And that's really all this movie is about. The Guardians are not Superman, they have no responsibility whatsoever. Their name comes about as a joke of equal parts posturing and self-deprecating. But they give a shit and often that's all the galaxy needs we are good Okay, uh, so we're going to finish uh, on... Uh, oh, it's, it's Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5. I want you back. Yep. Okay. So cue the mini Groot song. Thank you very, very much to my wonderful guests who came in. Three of them at really short notice. Um, we we uh, had a couple of dropouts because of various completely understandable issues, but uh, uh, you guys all came on. Thank you. You're, thank you're welcome. You're very welcome. So... It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much to Sharon Shaw. Thank you. Jerome McIntosh. No worries, Mike Hearn. Glad to do it, Lauren Greave. My pleasure, and Roslyn. Gonna be hitting the dusty trail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I have been Alex Shaw.
4: I've been Sharon Shaw,
0: and Neural Neural
4: Handshake
0: complete. complete. Let's go do something good, something bad, bit of both.